This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, we knew this day would come, Algernon. Ever since the leak of the Alito decision, the Alito opinion was published in early May, we've been waiting for what happened on Friday to happen, which is the Supreme Court to vote to strike down Roe versus Wade. Now, my uh, my take on the Supreme Court is an interesting one. I don't know that it's left wing or right wing. I think it's populist. I think um, well, well, we'll get into my take on the Supreme Court M- on Friday. If you tuned into this show, you would have heard me say that I thought the decision from a legal perspective and to some extent a political one, the, the decision on New York's conceal carry law and the Supreme Court striking down New York's uh, concealed carry law, which has stood for over 100 years, you would have heard me said that I thought the Supreme Court was a little out of order on that one because I think New York State has a right to make its own laws. And so does New Jersey, so does Hawaii, so does California, so on and so forth. And uh, I think that the rationale in the Alito opinion is correct in striking down Roe versus Wade for the same reason. States, as far as I'm concerned, have a right to make their own laws. Now, um, I don't generally, I don't really like to talk about abortion on the radio for a few reasons. One is the worst radio in the world is uh, because people, everybody understands it. Everybody gets uh, angry about it or passionate, I guess is a better word. Everyone calls in and they repeat the same formulaic arguments on both sides of the issue and that they've repeated for the last 50 years. But my hope is with this abortion decision and the recent cases involving school funding and campaign finance and the concealed carry and Miranda rights and the death penalty and so forth, that this is an opportunity to talk about the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court's role in all of our lives. Because as far as I'm concerned, this is something that needs to be radically rethought. And I think if you look over the course of the last hundred years, the fact that the Supreme Court is now routinely striking down not only national laws but state laws is – something that I don't think the Founding Fathers ever envisioned, and it's certainly unwise as a country. And I wish that we could get all the conservatives that get upset about the Supreme Court striking down their favorite law and all the liberals who get upset about the Supreme Court striking down their favorite law to gather together and say, look, we all agree on nothing, but we want to stand up to the Supreme Court and take some of the power to govern back from ourselves. My solution, my approach, my philosophy is very simple. Give more power to the people. Give give the power to rule to the people, to legislators, and whenever you can, to states. Not 
to nine unelected judges who are appointed for life and accountable to no one. Now, I don't generally talk about my own personal views on abortion. One, because I'm not going to convince you of what I'm sure you have your long held beliefs and they are what they are. And you will, you know, not be convinced by any argument that I make on the other side. And um, I don't generally talk about it because then if you disagree with my take on abortion, all, all of a sudden you prepare yourself to disagree with what I say on everything. Now, I happen to be pro-choice. I have a lot of respect for people that are pro-life, uh, especially going through, you know, every step of my wife's pregnancy with her and seeing our child uh, grow from when it first has a heartbeat into being a fully functional human being. It's I, I abhor abortion as a procedure. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't think outlawing it is the right solution. That being said, I think this decision is the right one. If you support restrictions on abortion, Vote for people who want restrictions on abortion. If you don't support restrictions on abortion, vote for people who don't want restrictions on abortion. Uh, Now, my heart goes out to a woman, uh, you know, a a 16-year-old woman, a 15-year-old girl, really, who's raped by her uncle in South Dakota and now won't be able to get an abortion. My heart goes out genuinely to to those people. Uh, But the solution is political. The solution is not a legal one. It's not to run to the Supreme Court and have the Supreme Court make policy decisions. The Roe versus Wade decision, as it was originally written, and I say this as a pro-choice person, was garbage. There, There is no constitutional right to an abortion. They made up this non-existent right to privacy. They found it somewhere in the 14th Amendment and the 8th Amendment. And you just, I mean, it was a joke. I mean, it was an incredibly poorly written decision. And I think the solution is give states the power to make these decisions for themselves. And um, even if states make decisions that I don't agree with, so be it. That's what democracy is all about. Somebody, I'll take your calls on this in a second, but uh, somebody that uh, I thought did a fairly good job explaining this to John Katsimatidis on um, on Friday's show was Alan Dershowitz. Now, Alan Dershowitz is somebody that's been a Harvard professor for 50 years, was also President Trump's lawyer. He knows a thing or two about a thing or two, especially when it comes to constitutional law. This is what Professor Dershowitz said about his take on uh, Justice Alito's opinion and Justice Thomas's concurrent opinion. Look, I disagree with today's decision. I think it went too far. They could have just upheld the the Mississippi statute, which prohibits abortions after 15 weeks. They didn't have to get to the issue of Roe versus Wade, but they did. They decided to do it. And now it's going to be up to the states and the voters will decide in each state how much uh, right and how much limitations on rights there should be. Democracy will have to make that decision. That's where we are. Now it's up to the voters and it's up to the people in each state after state. And I think there are worse places that we could be. Uh, I am curious, though, about the political implications. Based on what's being reported, uh, President Trump 
who ultimately appointed three Supreme Court justices who sort of tipped the balance of the court a bit to the right. He is said to be very worried about women punishing him if he runs again and punishing the Republican Party in general, suburban women especially. So if you notice, Donald Trump's been pretty quiet about this whole thing. He hasn't gone, ran onto Fox News and done a victory lap about how proud he is of this decision. He's done it quietly. He, he is quietly telling people that he's a little concerned about what the repercussions of this might be. Now, the same is not true of Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, who all indications are he's running for president. And we're probably, at least at this point, likely to see a Mike Pence versus Donald Trump primary for president in 2024. Pence is not only saying this decision is great, but he is saying he's essentially not going to rest. Pence is saying he's not going to rest until abortion is banned everywhere, everywhere, in every state. So Pence is not uh, content to let people make state-by-state decisions. Pence wants a nationwide abortion ban. And his words were, we're not going to rest until that happens. So if you're people forget why Donald Trump got elected. Uh, Statistically, I'm not talking about in terms of messaging or media savvy or anything like that. Donald Trump got elected because the people that voted for him in swing states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, about one in five Trump voters in that in those states, almost one in five voted for Barack Obama twice. So there is an Obama-Trump voter. This has been well-documented. And so if you're a swing voter that voted for Obama twice because you wanted change from the status quo, and then you voted for Trump either once once because you wanted change or twice because you thought the country was going on the right direction, and you don't agree, whether you voted for Trump or Biden in 2020, but let's say you voted for Obama and then Trump, and you don't agree with the Biden policies to contain inflation, and you don't agree with Biden shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline, and you don't think the Democrats have done a good job tackling the border crisis, and you don't think the Democrats have done a good job tackling crime and violent crime in our cities. And you don't think Biden's done a good job handling the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And you don't think Biden's done a good job handling the Ukraine crisis. Those are all people that were poised to deliver big victories to the Republicans in the midterm elections and potentially give the White House back to the Republicans in 2024. Those folks, those pro-choice swing voters, particularly suburban women, and that's why I personally happen to think Donald Trump is right to be concerned about this. Those folks are not going to vote Republican. I mean, some of them may. But I think if abortion is a primary issue to you and you're a pro-choice voter, I agree with Dominic. The court has given the Democrats a tremendous gift here. Not only in 2022, but in 2024. And Michael Goodwin, who's a pretty smart guy, whether you agree with him or don't agree with him, he wrote in his Sunday column in the New York Post that he thinks 
This is going to really help the Democrats. Now, I still think there's a good chance that the Republicans still win the House, maybe even both houses of Congress. But I think it is not going to be with the kind of electoral landslide that they would have had the court done one of two things, either not heard this case or simply allowed the Mississippi law to stand and not go out of their way to strike down Roe versus Wade and to have 20 states immediately enact these trigger laws which make it uh, illegal to have an abortion in these states. Now, um, to me, the bigger issue, whether we're talking guns, abortion, campaign finance, school funding, is the judicial supremacy. Judicial supremacy and the power the courts have taken upon themselves. Now, we talked a little bit on Friday about um, Marbury Marbury versus Madison. Now, those of you that are constitutional scholars know that Marbury versus Madison, the court claimed for themselves the right to strike down federal law. It wasn't until a little later that the Supreme Court claimed for itself the right to strike down state laws. But essentially, if we're going to recognize the Supreme Court, and to me, it doesn't matter whether you're liberal, conservative, something in between. If we're going to recognize the Supreme Court's right to nullify laws that the people have passed, that their democratically elected officials have passed, then we're not living in a democracy. We're not even living in a republic, really. I mean, again, republic has a pretty broad definition, but we're not certainly not living in a, in a constitutional republic. We're living in a critocracy. And all week long, all weekend long, uh, when I was talking about the Supreme Court decision on guns and on abortion, folks would take issue with me and say, oh, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Show me where in the Constitution the Supreme Court has the right to nullify federal law and to nullify state laws. It's not there. It's not there. They claim them, this for themselves in the, the federal case was Marbury versus Madison. And I think the state case was McCulloch versus Maryland, although I could be I could be mistaken about that. This is a, another similar, similar case. If it wasn't McCulloch. It was another case. So my take on this is very similar to one of my heroes in American history, Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt, when he was running for president in 1912, as the candidate of the Bull Moose Party, he said that uh, he made a big part of his campaign giving the people back the power in a popular constitution that the Supreme Court was slowly in the process of taking. This is uh, audio of Theodore Roosevelt from 1912 when he was running for president. Now before our people can be taken free. It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe they are. My opponents do not. I believe in the right of the people to rule. I believe that the majority of the plain people of the United States will day in and day out make fewer mistakes in governing themselves than any smaller class or body of men, no matter what their training, will make in trying to govern them. I believe, again, that the American people are, as a whole, capable of self-control and of learning by their mistakes. Our opponents pay lip loyalty to this doctrine, but they show their real beliefs. 
by the way in which they champion every device to make the nominal rule of the people a sham. I am not leading this fight as a matter of aesthetic pleasure. I am leading because somebody must lead or else the fight would not be made at all. I prefer to work with moderate, with rational conservatives, provided only that they do in good faith strive forward towards the light. But when they halt and turn their backs to the light, sit with the scorners on the seats of reaction, then I must part company with them. We, the people, cannot turn back. Our aim must be steady, wise folks. So Theodore Roosevelt, as you heard there, and that's just a snippet of much longer remarks, in his view, the court had made, the Supreme Court had made the Constitution a means of thwarting instead of securing the absolute right of the people to rule themselves. Either we're here to rule ourselves or we're not. Specifically, Roosevelt criticized what he called, quote, the peculiar function of the American judge, the function of declaring whether or not the people have the right to make laws for themselves, close quote. This special power, which today we call judicial review, I call it judicial supremacy, struck Roosevelt, and it strikes me, as fundamentally un-American. Through the powers exercise, judges could potentially declare the Constitution to mean whatever they fancied, a concern as old as the Constitution itself. It was far better in Theodore Roosevelt's mind, and in my mind, to leave this ultimate power where it belonged, with the people. So towards this end, he proposed the popular recall of judges and their decisions, and he deemed his stance, quote, the, wi- the highest and wisest kind of conservatism. So that's pretty much where I am. I'd love to hear from you. I know a lot of you have very strong opinions on this. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Oh, by the way, by the way, there has been a surge in people researching renouncing their American citizenship and trying to become Canadian citizens. And evidently, it's not just Canada that people want to flee to. Billy Joe Armstrong is a musician with a band called Green Day, born in America, I believe. And he told a British crowd this weekend that uh, he doesn't want to be American anymore. This is what he said. Now, first of all, what a class act, right? And how about those people that are cheering and clapping like wild hyenas? You don't want to be American anymore, Billy Joe Armstrong? Good riddance to you. You should find a country that works better for you. And for all these people researching becoming Canadian citizens, good luck. Good luck. You don't want to be here. There's a long line of people waiting to get into this country who are literally willing to risk their lives in order to get here. And those idiots that are clapping and cheering like hyenas... Uh, this this moron uh, saying that he's renouncing his American citizenship. Ask 
the British people where they'd be if the United States had chosen not to not to help them out in World War II. Okay, and countless other times. And and you want to cheer this guy going overseas to say F America and America sucks, basically. So that's that. Now, my, I also wonder for people that disagree with this ruling and people that are strong abortion rights proponents and people that supported upholding Roe versus Wade. I got an email from one of our progressive listeners over the weekend who said this was a callback to a subject that we had done a couple of uh, weeks ago, actually just a week ago, of people that stuck around too long. And his view, and I know this is the view of a lot of progressives, and there's been some articles written about this over the last week or so. His view is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg made a crucial mistake by not retiring earlier when and instead waiting until there was a Republican president and she ultimately died and let a Republican president fill her seat. I'm curious if you're a progressive, if you agree with that. So I'm going to take your calls, but I want you to keep a couple of ground rules in mind. Here's what I would prefer not to do. I would prefer you not to call in and explain why you're pro-choice or why you're pro-life. I'd love to talk about the political implications of this. Will this help Mike Pence with conservatives in the Republican primaries? He's the one that's vowing to um, he's the one that's vowing to eliminate abortion nationwide. Is that going to Pence by crossing Trump? alienated some conservative voters. Could this be the issue that he needs to get them back? Will this, as Dominic Carter said, as Michael Goodwin has said, and as Trump seems to have said, at least privately, is this going to help the Democrats in both the midterm elections and in 2024? Do you agree with me and do you agree with Theodore Roosevelt that we need a little less judicial supremacy and a little more democracy? Also, If you're one of those voters that I talked about, a pro-choice swing voter who's unhappy with the policies of the Biden administration, how does this affect your vote? Would you consider, if you were someone that was leaning voting for Republican candidates, is this going to change your vote at all? And then uh, lastly, Justice Thomas, in his concurrent opinion, he, you know what he did? He lit a stick of dynamite and then he stuck it right in the in the opinion that he wrote and walked away and we're waiting for it to explode. What do I mean by that? Well, Justice Thomas, if you read his concurrent opinion, an opinion which uh, Justice Kavanaugh backed away from, he says the court should go further. He says the court should undo their previous ruling on gay marriage. And that shouldn't be permitted. Also, he says states should be able to ban contraception if they want. I'm curious if you agree with this decision, do you think Justice Thomas was right? Should they go further and put the genie back in the bottle on gay marriage and give states the authority to ban contraception? We're going to take your calls next. Here's what I love about the bank of callers that are on now, okay? We have conservatives that are furious with me and liberals that are furious with me. I would have it no other 
way. We're going to take your call straight ahead. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. WABC. side of midnight that's green day uh billy joe armstrong who i guess is in green day i i don't i couldn't have picked billy joe armstrong out of a lineup before this he is now saying f america he's renouncing his american citizenship to become british my my thinking is good luck to him you don't want to be american anymore we don't want you there's a long line of people that do uh, i just got an sms text message here from a listener she writes and if you want to send me an SMS text message, you can do so, 816-8Moreno. She writes, I am one of those suburban women you were just speaking about. I find a lot to dislike about Biden and his administration and was planning on voting Republican. But now I'm not so sure. I'll have to think long and hard. I'm curious if other people feel the same way. Because I think, as Dominic said and as Michael Goodwin said, and as Trump seems to say, at least privately, this is a tremendous electoral gift to the Democrats. What do you think about uh, any of the questions that I raised? 800-848-9222. John's in Freehold. Hello, John. Yeah, what's up, Frank? Um, real, real quick, uh, I want to talk about the abortion thing, but uh, the, Green, the Green Day guy, he did the same thing when, uh, when Bush was president and they were, they were at the war in Iraq. Oh, is that right? Did he, he said, do that? He said, yeah, he said the same things and. uh the the album American Idiot is uh, all about uh, Bush and that time period. Well, so that's uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Well, so again, my my take is the same. No matter who's president, Bush, Clinton, Obama, Trump, D- Biden doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter who's president to me. I think it's still a pretty great country to live in. They don't realize how they they can only do the things they do here. If they were somewhere else, they wouldn't be where they are today. They don't realize. Right. That. Exactly. But exactly. Uh, and then um, abortion, honestly, in my opinion, I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can abort like a, a grown baby. I think you have a, you have plenty of time in the first two months to decide if you want a baby or not. After that, yeah, I, you know, I, I think everyone should have their own choice. But uh, I, I like the I like what that judge, um, Thomas Clarence or Clarence Thomas, what he's doing. But it's not that he wants to get rid of gay marriage and all that, or maybe he does, but I see his point of view. He's giving he's giving the rights back to the people. He's saying it's not up to the judges to decide all this. It's up to the people in each state. Everyone gets to actually vote on it, and their vote counts. Right, and, 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 and thank you, John. And that's exactly my view, uh, Which and that was my view when the court struck down the Sullivan Law on concealed carry, and it's my view on abortion. Um, I don't think that in most states they're going to go forward with banning contraception. Uh, and because, uh, like Theodore Roosevelt said, this is all a question of do the people have a right to govern themselves or do we live in a government of and for the Supreme Court? 
Speaking of um, speaking of Justice Thomas, Alan Dershowitz commented on that to John Katsimatidis on Friday on the um, expansive view of what Justice Thomas thinks the court should look at with respect to gay marriage and contraception. I do think that this is in the end going to help the Democrats in some states which are close and which you have people who are on the fence about how to vote Republican or Democrat, and they have daughters or nieces or grandchildren, and they're going to say to themselves, you know, I just want them to be able to have an abortion in the first few weeks if there's an accident, and maybe they'll vote Democrat uh, as a result. We don't know. Nothing is predictable. Everything has changed. I just hope this doesn't endanger the rights of gay marriage, of contraception. You know, there's a big difference between abortion. Abortion has a potential victim. There is a fetus. It's not an appendix. It's a real thing, whether you think it has the right to life or not. It's a real thing. With gay marriage, on the other hand, nobody's business. Who cares? Um, You know, with uh, contraception, nobody has the right to be born, to be conceived. So I would hope the courts would make that distinction. And the majority said yes, and Justice Thomas said no. Justice Thomas said we want to abolish the entire right of privacy, and that would mean no contraception and no gay marriage, and a lot of the basic fundamental rights would be erased. But I don't think he's going to get his way on that. Mary Beth is on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Good morning, Mr. Level-Headed. It's good to talk to you (laughs) and to listen to you. You must have me confused with someone else, Mary Beth. I've been called many names. Uh, Level-Headed is rarely one. Well, on this issue, listening to you, I, I feel you are. Um, you know, I've never been as worried about this country. We keep saying how divided everybody is, but I, I don't know how people are ever going to listen to one another, respect one another, and love our fellow Americans again. This is this is crazy, Frank. It just goes on and on and on. The hatred is unbelievable. What's it going to take for people to listen to one another and say, you know, you can have a different opinion, but my God, and and no, no way they're going to fight to ban contraceptives and gay marriage. God, please. Mary Beth, uh, thank you for the call. I appreciate it very much. You know, I, I, I get upset also about kind of how divided the country is right now. And I remember there was a time when we were so divided, we killed we had the bloodiest war in our history. We were literally ready to kill our fellow countrymen. And uh, before that, we had congressmen literally beating each other to death in the Capitol. And then, um, so we've had a long history of division in this country, and we've been able to work through it. And I am, I think that maybe we're not as divided. We may disagree on a lot of hot-button issues, but maybe we're not as divided as a country as... The media may make us think we are. Uh, I went back yesterday and read all of the scholarship that I could find in it in that led and all the history that I could find, both the political history and the legal history about the Marbury versus Madison decision. And the thing that's amazing about Marbury versus Madison is how partisan Jefferson was and how partisan the Chief Justice John Marshall was. And this, all the posturing, all the language, the result itself in the Marbury versus Madison decision, it's all a result 
of rampant partisanship between the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans, who at the time were still kind of calling themselves the anti-Federalists to some extent. So um, partisanship and very polarized partisanship, that's nothing new either. So we've been through this before as a country. Hopefully um, we can handle this maturely. You know, when I see... um, when I see protests, I think that's great. I think that's all about what makes America so great, uh, in spite of what Billy Joe Armstrong says. When I see death threats for Supreme Court justices, that is horrifying. Horrifying. And I, this is one of the reasons that I've been against life tenure for Supreme Court justices. The Supreme Court, all the courts, it should be about calling balls and strikes. You shouldn't be rooting for the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice because you think he's going to implement your policy agenda. The energy, in my view, in that realm should be in the electoral arena. That's where those fights should take place. And, um, you know, again, as Theodore Roosevelt himself said, essentially, if we're going to recognize that the Supreme Court can do whatever... uh, nullify laws passed by the people, then essentially we're saying the Constitution is whatever the Supreme Court says it is. And think of how dangerous that is when they're appointed to life for life and accountable to no one. 800-848-9222. I'm going to try. I've said enough. I'm going to try and get to as many calls as we can because then I do want to move on to some other subjects because uh, I would like to touch on some lighter issues as well. Pamela is in central Jersey. She's been holding a while. Hello, Pamela. Hi. um, Taking passion and my own personal opinion out of the equation, I myself have had an awakening during this argument. It started out as worried, like, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to affect the Republicans because this is too hot a topic. But I find something enlightening and something to be joyful about. Uh, I really have realized how important uh, everybody's saying religion is dead in America, that people have no more morals and etc. But I find it interesting that people are passionate about this from a moral standpoint. So I feel there's hope for us. And um, I take it in a different way. I've actually changed my uh, depression over it and actually feel that uh, America is cooking again. All right. Well, great. Uh, anything that makes people more optimistic, God bless you. Well, that's what we need. 800-848-9222. Chris is in the Catskills. Hello, Chris. Great. That was an amazing breakdown. Very logical presentation you just gave in the beginning of your program because you presented your own opinion and you did it in a way that wouldn't offend anybody. This is a very what you are getting at and you're going to get at later is this has a populist effect an anti-government effect is what the supreme court did by this decision in terms of turnout this i I, as more and more i think about it and listening to you i think this is going to affect the turnout the suburban housewife that sent you a text if she lives in new york new jersey or connecticut Two years from now, it's probably not going to make a difference in the presidential election because it's an electoral decision. But if you look at purple swing districts for Congress um, in these, like Pennsylvania, it, this 
might well, make a difference I, I, in that's the presidential exactly right. election. That, well, I think it'll make a difference this year in Pennsylvania in the gubernatorial election because now you have two candidates for governor in Pennsylvania, one strongly anti-abortion, one strongly uh, pro-choice. And so I could easily see a lot of swing voters in Pennsylvania saying, well, we don't want this guy to outlaw abortion, which is what he says he's going to do. So we're not going to vote for him. I think, But uh, I appreciate the compliment, Chris. Thank you. 800-848-9222. And before everybody finishes tearing me apart, let me also cite Mike, who sent me an SMS text message. Frank, I've listened to hours and hours of talk radio since this decision came down. And I have to say that the last 30 minutes of commentary has been some of the best I've heard you are a gifted orator. My goodness. I better leave now. I'm not getting any better than that. Uh, take that, Curtis. That's what he said. That's, I didn't make that up. He did say that. 800-848-9222. David is in the Bronx. Hello, David. Good evening. Well, good morning. Good evening. I'm not sure. Neither am I. Um, yeah. Okay. So I want to address the Clarence Thomas concurrence because I think that's where the most danger lies for the future. And I want to point a couple of things out about that. He mentioned a couple of decisions that have been ignored by the media for some reason. The first one was the one involving um, gay sex between two consenting right, adults sodomy. in right. Texas. Right. right, exactly. And the second, which he did not mention, was Loving versus Virginia, which legalized interracial marriage, which obviously Clarence Thomas benefited from. So this is my concern. There are places in this country that if this, these issues are sent back to the states, there might be a movement to ban contraception, saying that it's abortion like the, the morning yeah, after pill. Right. I think the, or, two, the two types of abortion or, or, excuse me, of contraception that they're most likely to go after are women that use an IUD and a and what you decided, Plan B, the morning after pill, right? But th- this is the thing, and and I don't and you know I agree with you basically about the Supreme Court not having the powers that it has assumed for itself. But I think we need a mechanism to guarantee certain basic constitutional rights in all fifty states. When you have states that don't allow abortion, don't allow gay marriage, and trust me, that's coming. And don't allow contraception or may even decide that interracial marriage isn't a good idea. How can you have one nation when you have states that have such divergent opinions on what a civil right is? Well, that's a fair point. Go ahead. Sorry. And I'll just say this uh, as far as the privacy right. I don't believe that there is a, quote, privacy right in the Constitution. But I do believe in the Fourth Amendment. It says that we are should be secure in our persons. Okay, but but David, uh, Justice Blackman didn't cite the Fourth Amendment when he wrote the Roe versus Wade. That's why it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. I think it needs to be revisited. But I think there is a constitutional guarantee to a form of privacy, because think about it, Frank, just like with the gay sex thing, the idea that the government can send agents into your bedroom between two consenting adults, that should horrify most of your listeners. Yeah, I agree. I agree, uh, David. Look, I'm not for any law that prohibits sodomy. Uh, Would some states try to pass an anti-sodomy provision? Maybe. Um, I don't see 
even the most conservative state in this day and age, in the year 2022, moving to prohibit interracial marriage. I don't. I mean, I, I just I can't see it. I can't see the uh, voters electing people that are going to ban interracial marriage. I can't see it. I just I and I'm sure maybe maybe um, folks that were alive at the time of the loving decision would have a different perspective, but uh, I don't think that's I don't think that's likely. 800-848-9222. I'm going to go to folks just in the order in which they've been holding because I want to try and get to as many folks as possible. Um, Stewart is in Forest Hills. Hello, Stewart. Yes, Frank. As a Republican who wants to see a red wave this November to save this country, I must tell you, uh, regarding Pennsylvania and uh, Illinois, I am horrified at the strategic stupidity, not just of Donald Trump, but of Republican primary voters. On Tuesday, they're going to probably elect Darren Bailey, their governor nominee in Illinois that Trump just endorsed. He's an abortion absolutist with no exceptions. In Pennsylvania, as you mentioned, Doug Mastriano, Trump endorsed him. No exceptions. What in the hell was Trump thinking? These are purple states. You can't. These are not red states. The, these voters think they're living in red states. They're in purple states. There's an old saying: "Don't let perfect be the enemy of good." These Republican voters are going to kill the red wave. They they don't know what they're doing. Uh, Stuart, I haven't followed the Illinois race as closely as it sounds like uh, like you have. I do agree with your analysis of the Pennsylvania race. I think. Uh, the courts and the primary voters in the case of Pennsylvania have taken a defeat straight out of the jaws of victory. So I, I do think you're right about that. 800-848-9222. Now, if you're the Supreme Court, you're not supposed to make decisions based on political considerations. The fact of the matter is they do. And they have since at least 1803. 800-848-9222. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Yeah, Frank, thanks for taking my sure. call. Uh, you know, I always like uh, listening to your show thanks. and uh, the, the gentleman who precedes you, uh, Dominic Carter. Uh, I just wanted to say that I think that President Trump and his supporters are probably pleased that the three justices that he uh, appointed to the court uh, turned out to be conservative because, as you know, throughout the decades, that hasn't always been the case. Uh, Dw- Dwight Eisenhower put Earl Warren on. And William Brennan, they turned out to be liberals. The same thing happened with uh, Blackman when Nixon appointed him, uh, John Paul Stevens, and also uh, George Bush, the first one, uh, George George H., when he put on uh, David Souter. So I think the President Trump, again, uh, must be pleased that at least who he put on the court are conservatives. Yeah, Al, I, I, um, look, I think... Um Trump wanted to go with conservative judicial nominees because he felt, rightly so, that it would help him maintain his base. And I think you're right in the case of uh, George H.W. Bush probably living to regret that suitor nomination. Some people might say that um, President Reagan regretted nominating uh, Justice Kennedy or Justice O'Connor as well. I I don't know if I agree as much on the Ford nomination of John Paul Stevens or the Eisenhower nomination of uh, of Earl Warren, um, because Ford and Eisenhower, they were not conservatives. I mean, they could have easily just as easily been Democrats. And I think through the prism of hindsight, 
while conservatives may not have viewed this this way in 1954, I think most conservatives would. And again, I'm not trying to speak for more most conservatives or anybody. I think a lot of yeah. conservatives would think that the Brown versus Board of Education decision striking down um, segregation that Earl Warren, you know, that was his most famous decision, and he was able to get a nine nothing vote on that. I think a lot of conservatives today would probably agree that it was right to strike down the Jim Crow laws. But I think you're definitely right that uh, a lot of Republican presidents have had buyer's remorse in terms of thinking they were getting one type of justice and getting another. And uh, you're right. I think Trump voters that voted for him because of the Supreme Court issue, there's certainly no buyer's remorse here. Al, great call. Thank you. I do know, I do also think that there's um, a lot – it's not always clear what conservatism is. For some people, conservatism is about less government. And so if you believe in less government, you would think, all right, well, it's none of the government's business if a woman makes a decision, a woman who's been raped by her uncle in South Dakota makes the decision to go and get an abortion. Other people believe conservatives um, fight for freedom and that that freedom extends to the unborn. So it's not always clear what conservatism is. There's a a lot of different types of conservatism out there. 800-848-9222. Let me squeeze in Dave in, in orange here. Hello, Dave. Hello, Frank. How are you? Perhaps I should have saved this question for Thursday evening. If, in fact, there is such a thing as a soul, when is a soul acquired? When the nurse slaps the baby on his behind? Just something to consider rather than the political. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, well, thanks, Dave. I, I have no idea uh, the short answer. And um, and again, I would have a very tough time ever being a party to a woman's decision to get an abortion. But um, and again, I don't want to make this whole is abortion um, should abortion be legal or should abortion not be legal? My scope in discussing this, my hope anyway, was to discuss the scope of the Supreme Court and what the proper role for the court should be in 21st century America. Additionally, from an analytical point of view, I am curious about the political implications of this, because now Mike Pence is going on a barnstorming tour He wants to make abortion illegal nationwide. And I think that's going to turn off a lot of voters. I really do. It may help them with the base in the primaries. But as Michael Goodwin said, as Dominic Carter said, and as Trump seems to be saying privately, I think this may hurt the Republicans both in the midterms in some key states. And I think it may hurt in 2024. Um, Hey, we'll continue with your calls in just a minute. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Creeping, look around like no one knows. Think you're so criminal. Bruises on both my knees, feel don't 
to that type. I'm the bad guy. Duh. Billy Eilish. If you ever want to know the kind of music we're playing on this show, you can join our Facebook group at uh, Facebook um, and just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Um, all right. Hey, uh, I went to a wedding on Sunday. In fact, I, Saturday, rather. I officiated a wedding on Saturday uh, for a young man that is uh, basically my cousin. He, We're not... We're not really related, but uh, his father and my father have been best friends since they were eight years old. So I always grew up calling uh, the father of the groom my Uncle John. And I, you know, I view him as my uncle. And uh, his son, Santo, got married, a beautiful woman named Christina, and they had asked me to officiate the ceremony, which I was honored to do. It was a nice outdoor service, a lot of fun. And they had two rules for the DJ. The only two rules the couple had were no rap and no country. <laughs> Those were the only two rules they had. But it's funny. Uh, my wife and I it was all the way out there in Jersey, um, in Warren County. I don't remember the name of the municipality. It was really nice. It was at a campground out there. Very picturesque. Nice pond. And it was outdoor. I mean, it was tough for an outdoor ceremony. But I drove out there Friday myself for the rehearsal dinner and drove back then saturday my wife and i drove out there and as we're driving out there my wife says she has to go to the restroom and it just so happens i'm not going to say where we were because i don't want to blow up joe piscopo's spot but it just so happens when she said that we were four and a half minutes away from joe piscopo's house i said let's go to joe piscopo's house he's always saying that whenever I pass by this house to visit my cousins in Pennsylvania, he's always giving me a hard time that I never call, I never stop in and visit. He would love to offer the restroom services. She says, no, I don't want to go, I don't want to bother. I said, oh, come on, come on. And, you know, we were driving a while without seeing any restrooms. And she was close. She was really close. At one point, we're driving and driving, not seeing any restrooms. And she, I almost had her convinced to go to Piscopo's, and she says, no, he's going to want to talk to us and stuff, and then we're not going to be able to get to the wedding on time. I said, no, he won't. He wants to get rid of us right away. Yeah. So anyway, we ended up going to, I think, a 7-Eleven, and they let her use the restroom there. But we got there, and I realized I forgot my ceremonial robes because I am a minister in the Universal Life Church, and I usually have a robe and, you know, some a nice stobe that I will wear for the ceremony. And I was just, I was so ticked off. I was so annoyed that I had forgotten my trademark robe and stobe. And I felt I was way underdressed as the officiant. There was a no-suit rule for the guests at the party. So my plan was I'll take off my robe and then I'll just have, you know, a regular button-down short sleeve shirt and khakis for the um, for the reception. But because I had forgotten, it was one of those things. I went and found my bag. I have sort of basically a wedding bag full of tricks. I went and found it, and I had it right near the door. And then my wife kept saying, all right, did you bring this? Did you bring that? Did you bring this? And I uh, I must, I must, was carrying so many things that I didn't take my wedding bag of tricks, and I didn't realize it until we got here. Now, the irony is... The, until we got there. The irony is my wife and I got into a big argument on the way there 
about whether or not it would be appropriate for me to wear these robes or not. And I said, no, it's okay. You know, they said I could wear whatever I wanted. And so we got into a whole argument, and lo and behold, there was no need for the argument because I had forgotten my robes. So that was that. But it was a great wedding. It was a lot of fun. My wife never, never drinks. My wife gets drunk maybe twice a year, if that, and less than that because she had a baby in November. So she basically didn't drink while she was pregnant. She didn't drink while she was breastfeeding, certainly. So, I mean, she's had a handful of drinks. So I guess maybe because we left the baby home with my sister-in-law, who was kind enough to watch her, uh, watch him, that uh, Rachel felt the, you know, that she could let her hair down a little bit. So she gets into a drinking contest with my sister, Claudia, who's a heavy drinker, and my um, brother, Alexander, who's a very heavy drinker. He had to he had to have a handicap, a negative three or negative four handicap, and uh, Alexander's girlfriend, um, Marley. Now, this is not a wise thing to do from my wife Rachel's perspective because she never drinks, and she's going to battle three heavy drinkers. Lo and behold, they, they were drinking beer, right? And the contest was who could drink the most beers by the end of the night. Now, usually. Rachel is always the one who's sober and does is the designated driver. So once I see she's embarking on this drinking contest, then I know it's my turn to be the sober one, which I don't mind doing because Rachel always does that for me. So I, I didn't end up really drinking anything, So, which is fine. So Rachel drinks nine and a half beers, nine and a half beers. She lost the contest to my sister who drank 10, but as Rachel said, uh, and I, I, she said, this is the most drunk I've been since college. So I'm glad she got to uh, have a good time and let her hair down. And uh, on the way back, because we had about an hour and a half, two-hour trip back to our home, we made sure to stop, and she was drinking plenty of water. So she really wasn't hungover. She was a little bruised from dancing excessively, but, um, but uh, she wasn't hungover. But it was a lot of fun. And I was glad to be able to do that. I thought my performance for my sermon was, I don't know, I thought it was a little off. I expected it to get more of a pop, but everyone seemed to like it. The couple liked it. A lot of our, uh, a lot of their family and friends seemed to like it. I got a lot of compliments. So uh, you're always your own toughest critic, whether it comes to radio or wedding sermons. But that is what it is. Hey, some new information in the Gabby Petito case. I'll break it down for you straight ahead. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Tomorrow, everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. 
Do you remember the Gabby Petito case? A very sad situation in which uh, Gabby Petito was uh, going around the country recording these social media videos with her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie. She goes missing, and then almost immediately, Brian Laundrie is a big suspect in her disappearance. Ultimately, it turns out he goes missing, and both of them end up dead. Well, Brian Laundrie admitted to killing his girlfriend, Gabby Petito, in a notebook left in the Florida swamp where he committed suicide. But Laundrie insisted that it was, quote, an act of mercy. I ended her life, he proclaims in the note, which was recovered by the FBI in October. I thought it was merciful that it was what she wanted But I see now all the mistakes I made. I panicked. I was in shock. Laundrie claimed he wanted to put Petito, whom he was reportedly engaged to, out of her misery after she fell and hurt herself in the Wyoming wilderness, but said he immediately regretted it after killing her. From the moment I decided, from the moment I decided to took away her pain, I knew I couldn't go on without her. This woman obviously was a 22-year-old woman from Long Island. She was on this road trip with laundry. She was found strangled to death in a campground. And laundry, of course, as I mentioned, disappeared after her death. And that sparked a nationwide manhunt. And I'm looking at the note. You could find it online. And um, it's just everything about this is so heartbreaking. To see this beautiful young woman, 22 years old, dead like this, and you look at the very peculiar notebook entries on this, and then he goes and says, I have killed myself by this creek in the hopes that animals may tear me up. Excuse me. Animals may tear me apart, that it may make some of her family happy. Then, in different ink, the notebook says, please pick up all of my things. Gabby hated people who litter. Oof. So, uh, Laundrie had died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head near Sarasota. He apologized and asked authorities to go easy on his family in the note. Please do not make life harder for my family. They lost a son and a daughter, the most wonderful girl in the world. Gabby, I'm sorry. He added, I am sorry to my family. This is a shock to them as well as a terrible grief. Now, in looking at this, and this is one of those things, I read every article I could find on this, even though basically all of them were saying the same thing. And I read the notebook itself repeatedly, and I just shake my head. What was going on in this guy's head? For starters, by the way, if you want to comment on this, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. The first thing that I'm curious about is, do you believe his version of events? Do you believe that she fell and hurt herself? And was suffering and 
he killed her in order to put her out of our mis- her misery. I'm a little skeptical. I don't necessarily know that I believe that. I mean, I would have thought that he would have gone out of his way, as difficult as it might have been, to try and go for help if she was really suffering and she was seriously injured that way. So I'd be curious if you believe what he's claiming here, 800-848-WABC. If you don't believe it, and I'm not sure I do, if you don't believe it, why would he say that? He's dead anyway. Is he doing it to make himself look better posthumously? Is he doing it so people don't give his family a hard time? Is he doing it for some other reason? Has he, Had he convinced himself at that point that that is what happened? Or, or maybe it did happen. 800-848-WABC. Furthermore, if what he's claiming is true, does that give you any sort of closure? Does that mitigate his murder of her at all? If it was, as he makes it sound, a mercy killing, 800-848-9222. In my view, look, obviously, I am not a psychologist, and even if I were, I couldn't diagnose people that I've never met, let alone people that are dead. In my view, everything that we've heard about both of these people, Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie, is an indication, I think they were both people that were dealing with severe mental illness. I mean, if you look at um, kind of the emotional breakdowns that she was caught on tape having, remember when the police intervened? That did not strike me as a woman or a person that was emotionally sound. And if you look at this note, the fact that the guy's worried, the, the fact that the guy kills himself, number one, which is not indicative of a healthy mental state, after killing his girlfriend, which is bizarre. And then he goes so far as to say, I hope animals tear me apart so that it brings some closure to Gabby's family. And please pick up my stuff. Because Gabby hated people who litter. To me, I I hate to use this term for someone that's clearly suffering from some sort of mental illness, but it just sounds crazy. How do you read the situation? And if you have other theories about what happened here, you know, that's one of the things we can always count on with our audience is they always have some interesting theories that I haven't necessarily thought of. So I'd be curious what your take is on this. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC1234. Open lines if you'd like to comment. But um, I'd be curious what a handwriting analyst would have to say about what you can tell by his handwriting. His handwriting looks pretty standard to me. It's printed. It's not script. But uh, somehow the handwriting experts can always tell something by looking at handwriting that I can never see. I'm curious what it says if you look through this, uh, because to me, it's just so incredibly bizarre. Um, he, He writes, if you were reading Gab's journal, looking at photos from our life together, flipping through old cards, 
you wouldn't want to live a day without her. Knowing that every day you'll wake up without her, you're, and I, it's a little smudged, so I can't see all of it. It says, your wish, you would want to, you wouldn't want to wake up. I'm sorry to everyone this will affect. Gabby was the love of my life, but I, I, I can't make out the next line. I'm so very sorry to her family because I love them. It's really just such a sad situation. Now, look, I can understand you get into a heated argument with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And one, it's not right, one person hits the other person and things escalate quickly. In the heat of the the moment, in the heat of rage, you end up killing him or her. Terrible. I could understand this, this happening. This, to me is so incredibly frustrating and confounding because this, to me, is an indication of a guy who's totally lost his mind and lost touch with reality, unless he's putting on a show somehow. 800-848-WABC, curious as to your take. Joe is in Manorville, the land of Josh O'Brien. Hello, Joe. Hello, Frank. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. Good. Uh, Real quick. So I'm out in Suffolk County. My brother-in-law is a high-ranking official in Suffolk County Police. Both of these individuals, the two kids, were from Suffolk County. And uh, uh, Brian's family and Brian moved down south to Florida. Um, She suffered from OCD and um, bipolar. And that was proven by CVS uh, prescription records. Um, which you could kind of tell in in some of the uh, um, dialogue that she had put out on YouTube. But I tell you, there's um, if you know Joe Patino, he went down there, and I believe it was uh, in August, Frank, uh, with a couple of his friends to confront Brian's family because they weren't returning any texts or phone calls. They weren't communicating. And uh, Brian obviously came back with the van in the beginning of the month. And uh, I, I just put it out there. It, uh, <laughs> if you commit suicide um, and the gun is not by your body and it somehow floated away 40, 50 yards, um, it's, it's a lot of BS. And it was a whack attack. Really? By Pepino. And Patino had uh, uh, friends in, uh, you, you know, the type of friends I'm talking about. Well, so and, wait, wait. Uh, so, Joe, you think Gabby Petito's father had basically underworld connections? I, uh, I, I uh, gently say that. And he did go down, and you could, you know, refresh your memory, to uh, the Landry house two days before. Or it finally went public to confront uh, Brian's father and mother. Uh, you know, you're not talking to me. And he also went down with three people. Frank, you can't commit suicide in, in, in a swamp and not have a gun. <laughs> you know, they, they said the gun was, and nobody ever said what gun it was, what caliber it was. It was never any. Uh, um, uh, uh, pictures or any of that, but uh, she suffered from uh, bipolar and so on. That was confirmed by CVS prescription records, and uh, um, I believe it was a whack attack on Brian. And they never found his head. 
And the other thing was, real quick, I just get off the phone, is that they put her entire body, I'm sorry, uh, they put her entire uh, uh, skeleton back together. There was no fracture of a leg or uh, any of that kind so, of so stuff. So needless to say, you don't believe what's written in the journal? I don't believe it, no. I believe it was a whack attack on Brian. I, I think he killed her. Oh, by the way. Do you know what a, a we you saw the vehicle Frank that they were in? Um, uh, it, it was a, uh, a Chevy Astro. It's about four feet wide, and she was freaking out all the time because he was bringing dirt into the vehicle. It was they had like three feet to live in. After after a, a short period of time, a person who suffered from OCD and bipolar. You know, you got you got sand all over the place, you know, and freaking out. And uh, it just, like you said, it just uh, escalated by two people that were suffering from, uh, um, you know, c- certain certain psychological things. But I think after a while, you know, you just end up uh, doing something that you that you really regret. But they never found the gun, Frank. You can't you can't shoot yourself in the head. And not find your skull, <laughs> and, and you, you, the gun can't float down the swamp uh, forty, fifty feet. Remember, there was no gun, Frank. I mean, it's like you know. No, um, I, absolutely, it was uh, it was very peculiar. Um, but I, I mean, I guess the way that was explained is because there were a lot of animals there. Frank. No, hey, I, Joe, I, I hear what you're saying. It's very interesting, and I'm surprised I haven't heard anybody else mention this. I know, I know a lot of people out here, and uh, I just say, and you know, I mean, obviously, people could take it as whatever, but uh, you know, you're living in three foot space for, uh, you know, after a while, I don't know if it was two months or not. She being OCD. Um, him bringing dirt in and them just having fights, and after a while, uh, you know, I, I just think it just uh, something something erupted, and uh, I, you know, he did a, a bad thing. But uh, and and they were guilty, by the way. His parents were guilty in 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 uh, they, they they were aware of everything that went by. You know, okay, show back up in her truck and and have no explanation, and all of a sudden go buy a, a slide on a camper and. <laughs> And go for a camping trip, you know. And Patino, her, her father, uh, he went down there t- uh, two days before down south to Florida, and uh, they had a couple people. Well, uh, that's the way I live it. Joe, you know, somebody else I, I appreciate that. Let me try and grab a couple other calls as well. That was go interesting. Ahead. By the way, I want to make clear that's Joe's theory, what he's saying. Uh, I am not endorsing that theory. I hadn't heard that theory. I have nothing to do with that theory. So um, that's Joe. Joe's views do not reflect my opinion. They do not reflect the views of the station. He's putting that out there. I am just curious what your take is on this journal that's been recovered. In my view, it's an indication of a, a, a severely mentally ill man. And I'm curious if you buy what he's saying, that he did this to put her out of her misery after a fall. 800-848-WABC. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. That was very interesting from Joe. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we had an incident in Staten Island years back when I went to school, when it was around the year with the son of Sam. The incident was a gentleman, I'm not going to say his name, that I went to school with, that um, he was like, uh, you know, uh, a wise guy. And he was with his girlfriend down in South Beach. 
And uh, he thought he saw somebody lurking around the car, and he thought it was like son of Sam. So he told the girl, stay in the car, don't move. He went in his trunk, pulled out a sawed-off shotgun, and he shot at the uh, individual that was he saw. But by doing that, his girlfriend got out of the car. He didn't see her get out, and he shot her dead. And then he tried to stuff it down the storm sewer down by the hospital. Only problem was, not only problem, that the tide was coming in and not going out. So they recovered the body, and she went to prison for years, years, maybe 20 years or so. And that's it. You know, this was around the sunny years, summer spam time. So like we say, we don't know what happened, and we don't know what happened with that other case in Florida, but... He brought out some good points. You're not going to find a gun. Uh, you're going to find it next to him, not uh, 40 yards down or whatever. Well, but, but what you doesn't know, make sense, everything. Pete, what doesn't make sense, Pete, is if if Joe's theory is correct, why wouldn't whoever whacked this guy, uh, Brian Laundry, why wouldn't they have planted a gun there to make it look like a suicide? You're 100% right on that, but this might have been – Something ah, like I said, I don't know the truth. I don't know. Like you said, you made a clearance that the network is not responsible for this or any form of thinking this. But it was a good theory out there. You know, it's like a, you know, like a unsolved. I mean, you know, maybe in time, you know, something will come of this. You know. Well, so, maybe, but, uh, maybe, Pete. Pete, thank you. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Yeah, I was just looking it up, and I wanted to see if I found anything past February or sooner than February. And it's saying that there was a rusty revolver found near his remains. Oh, so it does say that a gun was found. Yeah. So I don't know what he was saying. Oh, was okay. No well, gun. that's a pretty important element to yeah, the Joe from Manorville theory. Near the remains, investigators, investigators discovered a rusty revolver in the cylinder with two live rounds and one spent round of ammunition. Now, when he's saying that there was a missing gun, they were saying it in the Landry's had guns, and there was a missing gun in their gun case that was left out originally in the reports I that see. were not made to the public. So it doesn't sound like you're willing to endorse the... Uh, Joe from Manorville no, Theory. I, I think he killed her accidentally, felt guilty about it. Remember, he did come home, and he knew, obviously, they were going to be looking for him, and he killed himself as a coward. I mean, that's what I think. You don't buy that he put her out of her misery kind of a thing? No, no. I, I, I do believe the part where Joe said they put her skull scale, back together. There were no broken bones. I think mm. that would have come out, and I think he... Strangled her. That's what it said, that she was killed by strangulation. Mm. And that's what I believe. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. On another note, um, so I have a collect, I collect presidential bobblehead dolls. I'm now up to 14. While we have had 46 presidents, there have been 45 men who have been president because Grover Cleveland served twice. So I have a number of presidential bobblehead dolls. I have got... Uh, Benjamin Harrison, I've got Richard Nixon, I've got Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Gerald Ford, um, Thomas Jefferson, James K. Polk, FDR, Dwight Eisenhower, Harry Truman, uh, several others. And my my son, with a helping hand from my wife, got me for Father's Day a Lyndon Johnson bobblehead doll. And if you want to see it, by the way... You can go uh, to my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Moreno fan. And I put a photo 
of the bobblehead doll there. And I keep this particular bobblehead doll on my bookshelf. And, you know, it just goes to show you, somebody always manages to have a problem with anything that I'm doing. It doesn't matter what it is, but anything that I'm doing. Now, my bookshelf is color-coordinated. All the red books are together. All the green books are together. All, you know, all whatever color. And it was that was a system designed by my sister, Claudia, and I've maintained that system. And a guy comments, most people had kind of helpful, you know, fun comments, and it's intended to be fun. The whole, the whole photo, it's intended to be fun. And if people are ever looking for a gift to send me, you know, it's always nice to send a presidential bobblehead doll. So this one Facebook user, Philip, he says... Your reading material is rather one-sided, dot, 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 dot. Now, you're going to throw four dots in there? I mean, that's a bit much. Even Polk's daughter didn't have that many dots. So I said, which side? And he says, conservative. Look at the book titles. Now, not that there's anything wrong with having conservative books. I do have a lot of conservative books. But I said, let me go back and look at the books that are in the background. Because I didn't pay attention to the books that were in the background of this, this bobblehead doll. So I said, let me, let me just see what he says and what he thinks is so conservative. So I look, and one book is Corruption Officer by Gary Hayward. That is a memoir from a, a corrupt corrections official. It has nothing to do with politics, at least not conservative or liberal. There's nothing espousing anything conservative in that book. So that book is non-political. The next book is Swing Voter. That is a novel which is just kind of a silly novel. And it's, um, you know, it, 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 there's no political bent at all. It's uh, called The Swing Voter of Staten Island. It's a fictional book. Um, about a guy that break. I got it because the main character is from Staten Island. And it's not even particularly a good book. There's no political ideology in the book. If anything, it leans slightly left. The next book is, and again, remember, my reading material is one-sided. The next book is Prankopedia, which is a guide to coming up with pranks, non-political. So we're at three books that do not have a left-wing or right-wing bent. Now, the next book is conservative. It's Bob Grant's memoir, Let's Be Heard. Okay, that's conservative. All right, one conservative book out of four. The next book is Do-It-Yourself Wedding Ceremony. Okay, nothing conservative or liberal there. It's a guide to different wedding ceremony styles. The next book is Speeches That Changed the World. It includes all sorts of speeches, many of them non-political, some conservative, some liberal, the ones that are political. The next book is one of the many Theodore Roosevelt books that I have. It's specifically about Theodore Roosevelt's trial for libel in upstate New York. It's written by Dan Abrams. It's a history book, and it's pretty objective. It's neither conservative nor liberal in my view. And if anything, I think most people would say that Dan Abrams, the author, he's the lawyer that you see on TV all the time, he leans, I think, slightly left. I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying that. So I think we're at one book out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven that is conservative. The next book is Jesse Ventura's book, Blank Politicians Say. It's the S word is the first thing. 
blank politicians say. And it's just a bunch of dumb quotes from politicians. That's the whole book. There are left-wing people in it, right-wing people. It doesn't have a conservative or liberal bias. The next book is Ray Kelly's book, Vigilance, which is a memoir that deals with policing. It is not exactly an indoctrination of conservative ideology. The next book is a biography of William Rehnquist, which is written by a friend of his. Okay, the book does portray Rehnquist in a positive light, but it does so from a perspective of Rehnquist's personal life and what Rehnquist was like as a friend to the author. It has almost nothing to do with his jurisprudence. And then the last book is... Uh, a Jeffrey Lord book, that is a conservative book. What America Needs, The Case for Trump. So there's one, two, two and a half books out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven visible books that could maybe be considered conservative. And yet people see these, like, bias everywhere and ideology everywhere. People are just so blinded by partisanship. I can't imagine what it must be like to get up in the morning and view everything through the lens of partisanship. I can't. But if you want to see the doll, the doll, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. Um, those of you that are holding, I'll get to you momentarily. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead. W.A.B.C. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. You gotta keep them separated. Side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. This is the Offspring. Uh, I always like the Offspring. It's not really my kind of music, and it's not really from uh, an era that I, uh, you know, that I think has the best music. But this is fun. This called "Come Out and Play." But that line at the beginning got to keep them separated. That's what I always think because recycling is always on my mind, and I'm always thinking we have to keep the recyclables that have a deposit separate from the other recyclables. Because you got the bottles, the water bottles, the beer bottles, the soda bottles, the sparkling water cans in one section, and then everything else, iced tea bottles and whatever else, formula bottles in a separate thing. But I'll tell you, I've been lazy the last couple of weeks, at least in this respect. I haven't been taking the bottles and cans to the grocer. I've been batching it all up. You know what it is? It's just, it's so tough to find 10 minutes. So to say, all right, I'm going to spend another 20 minutes separating everything and then 10 minutes going to the grocery store and then another 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, you know, feeding all the cans and bottles into the machine, then another five minutes waiting in line to get my money from the redemption and then another 10 minutes to drive home. Is it the best use of my time when I don't have time to sleep or read 
is it the best use of my time to spend an hour and a half a week just on recyclables? And obviously the rational answer for the $12, if I'm lucky, that I get is no. So Rachel always persuades me just to put them all out. And if one of the people that that do this come and take it, so be it. But I hate it. I feel like I'm getting ripped off. Now, again, I, the the amount of money I waste on everything is staggering. But I still uh, – I, I was outside. Uh, we were sitting on our porch yesterday, and a guy was coming around with a giant collection facility. He's got bags after bags, and he was going around collecting all the deposits. And I just said, I, I'm so envious of this guy. I can't believe he's getting all our cans and bottles that have the five-cent deposit. But I haven't been doing it. I've been negligent in that respect. All right. Hey, uh, talking about the Brian Laundry note, his note – his journal has been recovered and released by the authorities, and he says he killed Gabby Petito to put her out of her misery, and then he killed himself because he couldn't bear it. Do you believe his version? Does that give you any sense of closure? Any other take on this since we found this? 800-848-9222. Tony has been patiently waiting in Florida. Hello, Tony. Hi, Frank. You are so funny that you're envious of this poor man that has to collect positive cancer bottles or whatever to live. You want them so bad. You're envious of him. That just cracked me up. Uh, well, thank you, Tony. Again, I'm not I'm not willing to trade places with him anytime soon, but I do I can't help but be envious of anybody that has that many recyclables to redeem and get the money from. But yes. Go ahead. So funny. Thank you. Anyway, I wanted to say about that letter, it's a bunch of crapola. This this is what I believe happened. In the heat of the moment, and they had a lot of them, they fought constantly. He got PO'd, and he shot her and killed her. And he planned on covering it up. That's why he left her there and went home. Oh, she decided to stay. He had nothing to do with it. But then he started thinking about it. He realized there's just no way he's going to get away with it. He knows this. So he decides he doesn't want to spend the rest of his life with him. So he goes back and, and writes this in writing notes. Okay? I don't know, you know, what he was thinking because nobody would believe it. Maybe he just wanted his parents to feel better. And then he lost himself because he doesn't want to spend his life in prison. And that's what I think happened. I think he changed his mind after he killed her. He realized that he wasn't going to get away with it. He just didn't want to spend his life in jail. Well, you might be right, Tony, and thank you. I, um, it makes sense. I mean, that's a very reasonable explanation. And again, I wish we had a handwriting expert that we could talk to about this because I'm curious if there's anything we can divine from his psychology about the manner in which he's writing. Again, it looks to me pretty normal, but those handwriting experts, just like the body language experts, they always see things that I don't see. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yes, Frank, two points on this. I guess the main point I want to make is I've done extensive hiking in national parks, like the most precarious trails. And I've seen people around me doing this. People just don't fall like that and hurt themselves like that. It just, you know, it would be very rare. 
So I don't buy that aspect uh, at all. You know, so that, that that's a complete fabrication. You know, someone might hurt an ankle. That would be about it. So that's completely fabricated. But you do, I do wonder about the lead up to that going back. Like, what would a woman be doing with a guy that's obviously throwing out many, many red flags? Why would someone push through for that? Right. You know, and where is that coming from? Because she doesn't sound like someone that had great stick to or willpower, like, say, a Ph.D. student, a marathon runner that wants to make things work. So why is she sticking it out with this guy? Yeah, I, I can't figure it out, Joe. I mean, look, there are a lot of couples where I think, w- what is he doing with her or what's she doing with him? And sometimes you can't see or understand what people see in their partner. That And so who knows what goes on inside people's heads. But I agree with you. I think it was, um, you know, look, it's just such a tragedy. Joe, thank you for the call. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. If you want to comment on this or anything else we're uh, chatting about. Let me tell you what's coming up. Uh, Next hour, we have commendations, a staple of every Monday edition of this program. Quite a few people deserving of a pat on the back. And uh, I will uh, talk with a gentleman by the name of Professor Solomon. Professor Solomon is, he's a peculiar fellow. He is one of the funniest speak people that I've ever spoken to. But I am only 70% sure that he's intending to be funny. I think you'll get a sense of what I'm trying to describe when we talk to him in an hour. He's He's got a new book out. And again, I don't really understand even how he makes a living. He gives all his books away for free. You can download them all on his website, which we'll get into that when we talk to him in an hour. But he's got this new book out about Harry Houdini, who I am very interested in. And it specifically deals with Houdini and his mission to debunk mediums, people that speak with the dead. I don't know if you believe that or not. I go back and forth. Because I've seen some pretty convincing things from mediums. But then I look at the debunking that Houdini did. We'll get into it with Professor Solomon at uh, at 3.30 right after commendations. I, you know, I got an SMS text message here. I believe it was from uh, Ellen, who's one of the stars of our Facebook group. And she, she said, and this is very clever. See, I always get a little nervous when the audience is coming up with funnier jokes than, I, than I'm coming up with. But she said, you should have given your recyclables to the Ikea guys as a tip. Two problems solved. <laughs> By the way, speaking of uh, furniture, I, my wife and I have the worst luck in the world with furniture. So when we first moved into our house a year and a half ago, we think my mom bought us a couch as a um, as a housewarming gift. We, well, no, actually, a little more recent than that. It's less than a year she bought us this. I don't remember the circumstance. But she bought us a couch, my mom, if I remember correctly. And it's from, I, I want to say it was from Raymore and Flanagan. It's a pretty good couch. It's comfortable enough. Cats like it. We like it. It's fine. But about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, we notice that on one section of the couch, 
it looks like all the springs have collapsed. So, I mean, no jokes from any of you about that that's a reflection of my weight. No. But it looks like it's not really a functional couch. You sit in one section of the couch, and it just, whoop, you get buried. It's almost like quicksand. You get you fall in the couch. In fact, I think we've lost a lot of good friends, a lot of good people in that couch because they just get devoured by the couch like it's the blob. That's how, in spite of the fact that it's only a year old, this couch, that's how crazy this is. You know, in fact, it's exactly a year old because I remember it was around June. Yeah, it was about a year old. So there's a warranty on this couch, covers it for five years. My wife calls this guy from Raymore and Flanagan to come look at the couch. He looks at it, and he sees, sure enough, something's wrong, and he tries to put some springs back into shape, and it really doesn't do much. And um, apparently, I wasn't here for this, or I was asleep for this when this occurred, but she says something to the effect of, the guy tells her that we could give you a new couch, but you only get one within five years. So... We were talking, and does it make sense to get a new one now? We both agreed, no, let's wait and see how long we can use this couch for before we make the change. Because if this happens again a year from now, then we're done. We're stuck with a broken couch for three years. So we said, we'll wait. And sure enough, the problem has only gotten worse. It's only gotten worse. Now, not only do you sink into the couch, but there are loose springs underneath the couch as well. I mean, it's really, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. So we do not have good luck with furniture and hoses in the Murano household. That's the, that's the operative lesson. So I, I think now, because the couch situation has gotten so much worse, we are going to go ahead and try to replace this couch. But the moral of the story is, if you're considering buying a sofa from Raymore and Flanagan, maybe you think twice. 800-848-9222. Al is in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hello, Al. Hello, Frank. I just wanted to talk a little bit about this uh, strange uh, murder uh, and the guy in Florida in the swamp. Uh, Gabby was killed in Utah. And uh, prior to her uh, murder, uh, they had been stopped by the police because of avid arguing in their in the van, and uh, I guess they subsided. So the police allowed them to continue. After he killed her, he went back to Florida, drove back to Florida, and went to his parents' house, and was there for a few weeks before he decided to take a trip to. Uh, a national park there in Florida in the swamps. And who was he discovered by in the swamps? His parents, because he was in an area that was not frequently uh, tracked by uh, hikers and, and the like. And the whole thing about his parents not knowing anything uh, is a very suspicious thing that has been uh, discussed here in Florida as well, uh, for them to have seen him for weeks before he disappeared, and uh, the uh, document to been had been printed that uh, doesn't uh, 
um, dismiss a suspicion of their involvement in his demise. Interesting. So you think maybe he, he wrote it out this way in the journal to help his parents out? No, I think his parents had something to do with that journal. Ah, you think it could be a forgery? Uh-huh. Well, that's yep. interesting. Well, that is interesting. I mean, uh, they feel bad about Gabby's parents, of course. But uh, and they wanted to get that thing out of the way. So uh, it's just strange that they were the ones that discovered his body. I mean, the police were everywhere all over that park. Yeah, that's a good point as well, Al. That's a good point. It's it's certainly anyway, the the one thing that's indisputable uh, is that it's an incredibly sad story. Al, thank you for the call. So that's interesting. Boy, we have a lot of people rushing to. Assign blame to the parents on different things here. You got Joe from Manorville who thinks Gabby Petito's father had this guy whacked. And you have Al from Fort Lauderdale who thinks that uh, Brian Laundrie's parents forged this journal. I don't think they forged it, in spite of what Al said. Al makes a convincing case, but um, I don't think they forged it. I don't. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I just don't. All right, 800 wabc My mother, who's listening, clarified that it was a Christmas pre- present. She got that couch for us. All right, so Christmas present. St- I mean, again, it's less than a year old. Shouldn't be falling apart like this. So we'll see. We'll we'll use this replacement uh, situation, and hopefully once it's replaced with a better functioning couch. We'll see. 800-848-9222. This is the other side of midnight Tuesday, tomorrow, election day, at least primary day. Uh, I'll give you my take on what's going on here in New York. Straight ahead. WABC. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Democrats and Republicans have primaries for governor. The Democrats also have a very competitive primary for lieutenant governor. All over New York City and in some other parts of the state, there are a lot of competitive primaries for state assembly as well. And uh, the AOC wing of the primary of the party is trying to primary a bunch of I don't even even call them moderate Democrats because most of them are not moderate. A couple of them are like Tom Abenanti in Westchester, but most of them are just kind of regular establishment Democrats. They're liberal Democrats. And they're being primaried by the socialist, the DSA wing of the party. And I think some of them are going to win. So if it's possible, I I didn't think it was possible, but the state assembly is about to get a whole lot more left wing 
than it already is, if you can believe that. The other race that I'm interested to watch, I would love to see Tom Suozzi win the Democratic nomination. I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. I'd love to see it. But I do think there's a chance that uh, Hochul's running mate for lieutenant governor may not win. And you could see either Suozzi's running mate, Diana Reyna, winning, or you could see Jamani Williams' running mate, who's also backed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I think you could see her winning. So if that were to happen, you'd see a situation. Uh, her, that running mate, by the way, is uh, Ana Maria Arquilia. Uh, you'd see a situation where Hochul is stuck with a running mate that she didn't even pick, which is something that uh, we haven't seen in some time in New York, about 40 years. But a lot of, uh, by the way, if you're interested in seeing Andrew Giuliani or Rudy Giuliani or Curtis Sliwa, there's going to be a rally for Andrew Giuliani uh, at the Bricktown Shopping Center, as is organized by my friend uh, John Tobacco, at 2750 Veterans Road West, Monday night, that's tonight, at 7.30 p.m., 2750 Veterans Road, the Bricktown Shopping Center. Right near there is a ShopRite. My mom goes to this ShopRite. I've been there dropping off my cans and bottles. And Rudy Giuliani was there campaigning uh, yesterday and trying to get the vote out for his son, Andrew, for Tuesday's primary. By the way, I think Andrew has a good shot at winning. I think it's going to be very close. I could see, I think it's wide open, honestly, this race. I uh, I don't know how much Curtis spent time on it, but Curtis and I have been talking a lot off air about this race. And very interesting that Lee Zeldin has changed where he's campaigning. He was supposed to be on Long Island, campaigning on Long Island, which is his base this weekend. But he changed his schedule last minute and has gone upstate. Now, I am hearing that Harry Wilson, through the constant barrage of TV ads that he's running upstate, has really cut into Lee Zeldin's lead. So up there. So I don't know if he's cut into it enough to cost Lee Zeldin the nomination. And I don't know if that would inure to Giuliani's benefit. I suspect it may or to Wilson's benefit or even Astorino's benefit, who got a very good bounce, I think, maybe not in terms of poll numbers, but at least in terms of public perception from those debates. But anyway, so right near where this rally is going to be tonight, Rudy Giuliani was campaigning at a shop, right? And Rudy the, the the report was in the New York Post that Rudy was assaulted, and he called into Curtis Lewis' show yesterday. This is what uh, Mayor Giuliani, who I'm a great admirer of, by the way, this is what Mayor Giuliani said. I come here, first thing I have to do is I, got, I have to use the men's room. So I get out, I walk to the men's room, I come out of the men's room, a group of people are around me, hugging me, kissing me, telling me Andrew's great. And all of a sudden, I feel a shot on my back, like somebody shot me. I, I went forward, but luckily I didn't fall down. Lucky I'm a 78-year-old who's in pretty good shape. Because if I wasn't, I'd have hit the ground and probably cracked my skull. And then I look around, and the guy says words I can't repeat. You effing whatever. And then he goes on and on and on, yelling and screaming. He moves away yelling and screaming uh, things like, you're going to kill babies, your people are going to kill babies, uh, not babies, you're going to kill women, you're going to kill women. 
Uh, he looked either drunk or high. He works for ShopRite. And I thought to myself, I might have ordinarily ignored it. I said to myself, I'm going to have this guy arrested because this is going on too damn much. I mean, suppose I was a weaker 78-year-old and I hit the ground, cracked my skull, and died. He wouldn't have known the difference. So it was reported in the uh, New York Post, and now I don't understand why anybody has to um, has to berate anyone or be mean to anybody. If you don't agree politically, just don't say anything. Just keep walking by, or just be polite. Imagine that, you know, Mr. Mayor. Thanks for coming to Staten Island. Thanks for your public service. You know, I don't agree with you. I don't like what you did with Donald Trump, but uh, I'm not supporting your son. But it's nice to meet you. Or just say nothing. I, I just, in my life, I would never heckle someone. So what was reported in this in the New York Post was Mayor Giuliani's quote is saying, all of a sudden I hear this guy saying, you're a effing scumbag. Then he moves away so nobody can grab him. And he says, this is a quote as quoted in the New York Post, you, you're one of the people that's going to kill women. You're going to kill women. You and your effing friend are going to kill women. Then he starts yelling out all kinds of just curses, and every once in a while he puts in that woman thing. By the way, I want to point out that Rudy Giuliani is pro-choice, and throughout almost, including when he ran for president, when it was not easy for him to be pro-choice running as a Republican, he remain, remained pro-choice. And in fact, when he ran for mayor in 1989, he was even for federal funding of abortion. So Rudy Giuliani has a very good, if you're pro-choice, very good record on abortion rights for women. So, I mean, that's it's such a silly thing that this guy would give Rudy a hard time on the issue of abortion when then that's one issue that, at least since the late 80s, he's been pretty liberal on. So, I went and watched the video. Have you seen the video? I've just linked to it. The New York Post has the video on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash moranofan. I've just linked to the article, which includes the video. Let me be very clear. One, I have a great amount of admiration for Rudy Giuliani. Two, if I were a Republican, I'd be voting for Andrew Tuesday. Three, um, I hope Andrew wins the, the primary. I looked at the video, and you could see it for yourself, and maybe you disagree. The guy did not smack Rudy's back. He didn't smack his back at all. There's no way you can look at this video and think that even it was a mild slap. He he tapped him. He tapped him. There's no smack. There's no slap. You know, when I think of a smack, you think about like what uh, Will Smith did to Chris Rock or something like that. Or even some unintentionally somebody kind of giving you a smack on the back. Uh, like the guy that uh, smacked Arn Anderson on the back when he was recovering from his neck surgery, guy that was no no bigger than Mean Gene Okerlund, and that you know Ar- Arn Anderson was startled. You know, watch the video. Rudy did not get smacked on the back; he got tapped. And again, I think it's horrible that this guy would go up to him and curse at him and call him a scumbag and say that he's uh, jeopardizing women's lives, none of which is true. And I don't know why people just can't be civil with one another. But I have to tell you, I think the mayor is a very skilled politician, and I think the mayor is trying to make 
a little bit more of this issue. And look, maybe the guy was very menacing when he's cursing at people and everything um, and pointing his finger. I think the mayor is trying to make this into a bigger issue to get attention for his son's candidacy. I have to be honest. The mayor's a politician, a very skilled politician. Not easy for a Republican to get elected twice in this city, and he managed to do it and almost got elected once before that. I think this is politics. You watch that video and tell me if you think it's a smack. I don't see it. 800-848-9222. By the way, um, New York has had nine days of early voting in this primary. No one has voted. Not literally no one, but almost almost no one. This is crazy. What, what we have done, it is costing us a fortune. Uh, do you know how many people voted in New York City? We have millions of people that live in New York City. Millions of voters. Just under 87,000 people have voted in the early in New York City. I don't have the statewide numbers. That's just New York City. The legislature mandated this. This is one of these feel-good measures that was pushed through by Michael Gianaris. The amount of days and the amount of sites, it's about one day, uh, one poll site a day per 40,000. We don't need nine days. In a presidential year, absolutely. When there's massive turnout like you had when, when Trump was running against Biden, makes sense. Nine days. But I think this should really be a learning lesson for the legislature. You do not need nine days of early voting for special elections. You do not need nine days of early voting for off-year primary elections. General election off-year, maybe. But this is nuts. The taxpayers spending hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars, to keep these early voting poll sites open for nine days when no one's voting. I say have four days of early voting. Do it Thursday through Sunday. Set times but the, the before the election. You got four days. Isn't that enough if you want to vote early? And look, I vote early. Four days is enough. Nine days, it's crazy. Except for presidential. It's my two cents. Until then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We're going to do commendations in just a moment. Uh, coming up in about 25 minutes, we're going to talk with Professor Solomon. This guy is amazing. Uh, he's written all sorts of books. Each one is really fun. And he's a magician. He's a Harvard alumnus. He's a poet. And he's written a book about Houdini. Uh, we're going to talk with him. We're going to do commendations shortly. And... Um, a bunch of other fun things as well. Hey, uh, Matt Blaze, I saw you looking at that uh, Rudy Giuliani v- video. Did you uh, did you have a take on uh, on the video after watching it? Yeah, I I gotta say it doesn't look like he got smacked. It looks like a tap on the back, right? 
Um, I will say this, though. Rudy looked very startled. And the person next to him, I don't know who that woman was. Like sort That was of, just a passerby. Like a, sort of like rubbed yeah, she, his right, back. Exactly. So I'm like, maybe it's harder than it looks. It could be. It absolutely could be. And look, I, I have no interest in um, making it sound like uh, Mayor Giuliani is lying. Um, so it very well could be. Because you, know, you do see, as Matt points out, you see a woman immediately sort of consoling him. Are you okay? And, you know, you have this lunatic screaming and yelling and cursing at him. I'm sure it was not a pleasant experience. But, again, to call this an attack that, I mean, I think it's going to be very difficult to prosecute this guy. He was arrested. I think it's going to be very tough to convict this guy of assault here. Eh. Aggravated harassment, maybe. It's not an attack. I've seen people get smacked. It's not an attack. Uh, Ryan, do you have a different view? Oh, no, I think it's the same view. I mean, it did kind of look in the video like it was a bit of a light shove. Maybe not so much of a tap, but just a little bit of a shove just to get his attention. Um, But uh, I don't think there was anything quite uh, over the top about it. Yeah. Well, people can watch the video for themselves and see for themselves. I've posted it at... um, Facebook.com slash Morano fan. It's in the New York Post. They've linked to it. I'm sure it's out there on the YouTube as well. Uh, so if you want to see it, just go ahead and uh, and take a look. Make your own judgment. You could even give me a call and tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. By the way, again, if you want to see Mayor Giuliani and Andrew Giuliani, you can do so today at 7.30 p.m. at the Bricktown Shopping Center. I believe Curtis Lee was going to be on hand for that as well, to get out the vote rally before tomorrow's election. So uh, they're hoping that uh, they'll get a big turnout on Staten Island that will help buoy Giuliani for the uh, for the Tuesday primary. Meantime, there are a lot of people that deserve a not a slap on the back, but a pat on the back. And those are this week's recipients of The Other Side of Midnight presents... Commendations. Bella Dark. I must commend this wonderful five-year-old girl from the UK. To be precise, she is five years, 211 days old. And at five years, 211 days old, she became the world's youngest female person to publish a book. That's right. Five years old, a published author. Titled The Lost Cat, Bella's book tells the tale of Snowy, a cat who gets lost after venturing outside alone at night. It was published January 31st by Ginger Fire Press and has since sold over a 1,000 copies. It's available on Amazon for $7.27. I don't know if this is a book worth reading, but I think it's impressive that a five year old would even write a book. Let's face it. It's impressive if a five-year-old even reads a book. She's publishing one? Youngest person ever. That's not cause for a commendation. I don't know what is. I have to give a commendation to Kevin Holland. Um, I've given this guy a commendation before. This guy very well may be Batman. Because for the fourth time in recent months, this MMA fighter, Kevin Holland jumped into action to stop a crime. Unless this is all staged, like Cory Booker likes to stage things. Unless this is all staged, this is incredible. While he was awaited, while while Holland awaited reservations Friday in Austin, Texas, 
He and his team stopped by a liquor store to grab some waters around 8.30 local time. That's when Holland and his team witnessed a foot chase in the distance. After the man in pursuit shouted something about a stolen item, Holland ran after him, took him down, and retrieved the stolen items, which turned out to be bottles of perfume. So this is on video. Um, this is incredible. So this is the latest bit of heroism from Kevin Holland. In October, Holland apprehended a car thief. In March... He was part of a successful takedown of a gunman in a Texas sushi restaurant. In May, he helped rescue a driver of an 18-wheeler that tipped over on the side of the highway. Who is this guy? He can win fights. He's rescuing drivers. He's stopping car thieves. He's stopping perfume thieves. If you're a criminal on the streets of Texas... I would think twice about committing a crime while Kevin Holland is at large. Uh, Speaking of brave people, I have to give a commendation to Altha Williams. Altha Williams is a 90-year-old woman from Tennessee, and she managed to fight off a black bear outside her home with just her lawn chair. She miraculously only suffered a scratch to her arm after the bear, who was with three cubs, attacked her on the front porch. A 90-year-old fights off a bear with her lawn chair. That's impressive. That's a brave woman. I want to commend a group of hero New Yorkers who sprang into action a week ago. When an out-of-control taxi cab barreled into a Manhattan cafe, lifting the 4,500-pound SUV off two female tourists that were trapped under it. The women were among six tourists injured in this bloody mayhem on Broadway and 29th Street. I used to hang out here all the time. Uh, I know this very intersection. And... About 20 quick-thinking New Yorkers freed the women from under the car before the first responders had even arrived. This is all on video. I've seen the video. It's amazing. These New Yorkers sprang into action. Why do I love this city? This is why. Because New York, for all its faults, the crime, the taxes, whatever, you can always count on people to lift a taxi cab off of you. You really can. You know, um... It was that uh, gal in Streetcar Named Desire who said she always depended on the kindness of strangers. That is triply so in New York City. I must commend a pizza shop that I have never been to, but uh, I don't think I've ever been there. I have to make a trip here. Una Pizza Napolitana has been named the best pizza in America. By the uh, U.S. by uh, Italian website, 50 Top Pizza. According to the site, its anonymous rankers spent a year dining at pizzerias around the country in order to come up with the 50 finalists. And Una Pizza Napolitana, on the Lower East Side, came out on top. The criteria for assessment for the site, the most important is the quality of the dough and raw materials used for the toppings. 
the service, the wine and beverage lists, and in general, the attention and care given to the customer are also taken into consideration. This place has been around in the East Village since 2004. I'm trying to remember. Is this the place that they featured on Billions? I don't remember if it was. But um, following a lengthy stint in New Jersey, Una Pizza Napolitana later moved to San Francisco before returning to New York to open on the Lower East Side four years ago. It shut down amidst the COVID pandemic. Now it's back. And as the name suggests, Una Pizza is a Neapolitan-style pizzeria. And its naturally leavened wood-fired pies are only baked three at a time after being assembled by hand. So I haven't been there yet, uh, but um, I do want to go. I'm going to check this place out. I consider myself a big pizza fan, and uh, I am looking forward to trying this. I'm looking. I don't see a lot of Staten Island places on here. There's some other good places in New York that I have been to, but uh, I'm not seeing. A lot of Staten Island pizzas here, which always lets me, it leads me to question the list, if that's the case. Because Staten Island is very good pizza. But the best pizza in the country, according to this website, Una Pizza Napolitana. You can imagine trying to get a um, place there, a, a, a pie there today. The number two pizza in the country, by the way, Tony's Pizza Napolitana of San Francisco. It seems from the places that I recognize on this list, that they did reward Neapolitan-style pie. And there's a lot of different, as we've covered previously, there's a lot of different types of pie out there. A lid for every pot, right? And a pie for every taste. But it seems like this list is very heavy towards Neapolitan-style pie, which I like. But, you know, if you're more of just a conventional New York-style slice guy, you know, maybe you'd have a different list. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, anybody else that we've commended. And I want to commend Uber. Uber is bringing back Uber Pool. I used to love Uber Pool. But they're bringing it back in New York City and a bunch of other cities under a new name. It's called UberX Share. It's a rebrand of the option formerly known as Uber Pool. It comes more than two years after Uber and Lyft nixed shared rides during the coronavirus outbreak. I have gone broke since they have done away with Uber Pool. They should have. Um, I, I'm so excited that this is back. I used to take Uber Pool all the time. One, because you get to make a new friend, somebody that you're carpooling with. And two, it's just so much cheaper. I always take Uber Pool. I love Uber Pool. Make a friend. Learn a new story of somebody and save some money. I'm so glad it's back, and I commend Uber for bringing it back. I want to commend Trumpet the Bloodhound as best in show, the winner of the best best of show in show at the Westminster Dog Show. You win the Westminster Dog Show, you really are the top dog. No doubt about that. And uh, anti-penultimately, I want to commend Santo and Christina Tirolosi. I was very honored that I was asked to perform their wedding ceremony on Saturday. I hope I did okay. It was a great party, a great wedding. They both look great. They seem like a great couple that's very much in love. And uh, I am uh, looking forward to getting to know them as a married couple now. And another married couple I want to give a commendation to is Sid and Danielle Rosenberg. They, over the weekend, celebrated their 30th anniversary. 
Now, they both deserve a commendation for this. They both deserve a lot of credit for this. Danielle deserves an award. She probably deserves a Purple Heart. Do you imagine, first of all, it's difficult to be married to any man. It's difficult to be married to any man that works in radio. Can you imagine what it must be like working with Sid? Being married to Sid, rather? It's, I mean, Sid has been through hell and back. Uh, and he's talked about all these issues, being arrested for drinking and driving, his issues with alcoholism, his issues with gambling, getting fired uh, repeatedly. She stuck by him for 30 years, moving all over the country. I mean, that is a woman that's really impressive. That is a model wife. And by the way, she looks like a model. Uh, so Sid, handsome guy, great shape, certainly. He's punching out of his weight class with Danielle, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, happy anniversary to both of them. And a lot of people lost money betting on whether or not that relationship would last 30 years. So congratulations to both of them. Happy anniversary to the Rosenbergs. And finally, I have to give a commendation to beer. Yes, the healthiness of beer. This is great news for my wife who drank nine and a half beers for the first time on Saturday. The healthiness of beer has been under scrutiny for a while now, and some argue that even drinking even two beers a day can damage your brain. Well, according to a press release by the American Cancer Society, this new study shows that drinking one lager, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic, a day can be very good for you. That's because lager beer appears to increase the diversity of your gut bacteria. This, the researchers behind the study say, can reduce the risk of some disease. This is great news for people that like lager. I like lager. According to this press release that was shared by the American Cancer Society, our gastrointestinal tracts house trillions of microorganisms. These microorganisms can directly impact our body's well-being. Additionally, scientists say the more bacterium types we have present, the lower our chances of contracting chronic diseases. I'll drink to that, my friends. I will drink to that. 800-848-WABC. If you want to add anything to commendations, we're going to talk with Professor Solomon in about 10 minutes. 1-800-848-9222. Adam is calling from Manalapan, a land that is filled with former Staten Islanders, including some very close friends of mine. Hello, Adam. Frankie, Frankie, Frankie. Frankie, I'm going to give you a little recommendation okay i'm ready okay frankie's drinking beer for your gut for all those bad things how about people just take a shot of apple cider vinegar like i do and lost 75 pounds and feel great but we're not talking about me drinking lager one lager every day is not the smartest thing to tell people in the world end of that number two frankie frankie frankie's are you telling me that Curtis and Dominic fibbed on the radio and taught, I didn't see the video, but are you telling me that Rudy didn't get popped or hit in the back of the back where in the back of the head or neck or what? Are you because I could have sworn that Dominic and Curtis said that the mayor got popped and almost fell down, not tapped. 
not tapped. I don't know. All right, well, first of all, Adam, I would say, you know, look, look at the video yourself and make your own determination. Two, Curtis uh, and Dominic were not there. Uh, I know Curtis, when he was commenting on it, hadn't seen the video. He was probably taking the mayor's word for it. I don't know if Dominic had seen the video. I'm guessing Dominic was taking the mayor's word for it as well. And as Matt Blaze said, it's possible that he was hit harder than it looks on video. However, I'll be honest, I look at the video and it doesn't look that way to me. But Frankie, Dominic said he saw the video 20 times. Okay, well then look, I, I you know, reasonable people can disagree. You know, I'm in a in a discussion, like me and you, like me and you, absolutely respect well, and agree what, to disagree. What are we disagreeing absolutely. on? On Lager? About Lager and about number three, what I'm going to tell you about. Uh, lay it on a me. Little, a little, uh, okay, some advice, Frankie. Lay it on I'm me. A yep. little, I'm a older than you. I love your show. I respect you. But when we talk about Curtis, Curtis is a different animal. Curtis is a saint. I worked in New York City 35 years. In my lifetime, and I saw Curtis at so many parties and saw how Curtis was in the streets, in the subways. Yeah, when have Curtis you ever heard me Curtis, say anything negative about Curtis? Cur- Curtis is like, I'm not. I'm saying. Right, so what no, do we no, disagree on? No, no, no you're, you're, you're not saying, but, but I just, his integrity, his integrity, Frankie. Curtis is like a saint, man. He has done and protected hundreds and hun- over the years. Thousands of people who would have been taken advantage of. Yeah, Adam, Adam, I know. I I, I talk with Curtis every day. There's nobody closer to Curtis than me. I'm well aware of Curtis's resume. I I busted my shoes for seven months trying to get him elected mayor. So thank you. I don't need, you know, a lesson in Curtis's history from from you, respectfully. Uh, Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank, you know, uh, with Rudy Giuliani, uh, you know, in personal injury law in New York, there's a saying that you take your plaintiff as you find him. Now, the man says he has a bad back. Oh, the guy hit him on the back. It maybe it didn't look like a big hit to you, but the man has a bad back. Did you maybe watch the video? Was... Did you watch the video? Yes. yes. And yes. You, you think he hit him on the back? Well, he, he, he tapped it. He hit his, He did touch his back. He touched his back. And, right. He, well, he touched it. But the man says he has a bad back, so I, I'm not, I can't call him a liar. Maybe he really got hurt. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, look, he maybe he was uncomfortable for a second. And, Neil, thanks for the call. I'm not calling him a liar either. What I am calling him is a politician. And I think um, he's trying to get as much attention for the name Giuliani b- uh, and between now and Tuesday as policy, as, as possible. Look at the video. I've linked to it from the New York Post and make your own determination. Um, It doesn't look to me like he was hit. Uh, Tell me what you think. Anne is in Manhattan. Hello, Anne. Okay, I watched the video a couple of times. I will say liar, liar, pants on fire. Man was not knocked off balance. It was a tap. Uh, much ado about nothing. He's a scoundrel. And you know what? You keep on saying a great neighbor. 20 years ago, yes, he deserved the credit. But have you seen him in the last couple of years talk about civility? He's been out of control. He's been cussing people out. He has not been very civil to people. 
so please, enough with this guy. Uh, well, he deserved to be. He he lost his law license. Deserved to. And you know what? He he. Hopefully, he'll be brought up on charges with this whole fiasco, January sixth. Well, thank you, Ann. I disagree with most of what you said there. Uh, And I don't think you should be looking to prosecute people just because you don't like them. It's clear you don't like Mayor Giuliani. I think you should be looking to prosecute people because they've committed crimes. And in spite of the fact that the FBI and the DOJ has tried to look at Mayor Giuliani six ways from Sunday, I haven't seen. You can bet if there was a way they could have charged him with anything, including a Farrah violation, they would have. They would have. This Justice Department, of course, they would have. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, again, I didn't want to make this a political issue, uh, although I guess when you're talking about politicians, there's no way to avoid making it a political issue. So um, we're only seeing it from one angle. The guy that tapped him on the back is clearly a jerk, you know, especially as he's an employee of the store. There's no reason for him to go and heckle the mayor or anybody else. So. Take a look at the New York Post video and uh, make a decision for yourself. I've just linked to it, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Come up with your own determination. All right, uh, Professor Solomon joins me next. We will talk about something much more upbeat and fun, like dead people. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. side of midnight i am frank morano uh, it has been way too long since i have spoken with professor solomon he is I, I think a brilliant man although i have left the door open to the fact that he's just insane uh he is a very funny man and i think he's in on the joke he is a fascinating fascinating person he is a magician with a degree in English from Harvard. He is a poet and an author whose books are just terrific. Uh, They're all available for free on his website, ProfessorSolomon.com, spelled just like, you know, the king, the biblical king. And uh, his books include a lot of terrific books that I of issues that are very near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about a few of them. But uh, one of his books is deals with Houdini. 
Houdini and spiritualism, the story of Houdini's crusade against fraudulent mediums. Professor Solomon, it is great to talk with you again. How have you been? I've been, I've been fine, Frank. Good to talk to you. So um, this is the first time a lot of our audience is, uh, is hearing you, Professor. Are you actually a professor? No, it's when I had a magic show for a while, a children's magic show, and I was known as Professor Solomon. I did that for about a year, and I then I when I started writing books, I adopted that name, Professor Solomon, as my as my nom de plume. And but I am not a professor. I work at a high school, but I'm not a, a college professor. No. So you're a high school teacher, more or less. Yes. Okay. Now I I are, but you are actually a, mu- a magician. That's true. Yes. Okay. And do you still perform? I haven't in a long time. Uh, when I was a magician, I got interested in the history of magic, and that has remained. And I do a lot of reading about um, biographies of, of famous magicians, so I still do that. Oh, well, that sounds interesting. We're going to talk about Houdini in uh, just a moment. But who are some of your other favorite um, historical magicians? Well, there was Howard Thurston. Uh, there was Blackstone, Blackstone Sr., Blackstone Jr. In fact, when I was a child, I was taken to see Blackstone Sr. I think that made a, a big impression on me. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, the, in stage magic and in its history as a theatrical genre. Oh, okay. Uh, no, it makes sense. Now, by the way, I, you first came on my radar screen with uh, a, your book, How to Find Lost Objects. Right. Um, which is tips and techniques for finding things that are lost, including 12 principles. My wife uh, found a debit card that she had lost five months ago in her car today. She also found uh, a baby stroller that she didn't even know she had. Well, I'm sure this is a problem a lot of people can relate to. What Can you give people a, a tip on finding something lost? The, well, first, you've got to admit to yourself that as I as I say, it's not lost. You are, and that just means that you're you're approaching it in the wrong way. You're not looking for it systematically. Rather, you're panicking. You're in a kind of a in a in a mood that that is going to condemn you to failure in finding the object. So I give these twelve principles that I tell you to run through one by one, which is just kind of common sense. But it forces you to calm down and look in a methodical way for for that object. All right. Well, I, I think that is a, a certainly a very rational, uh, you know, uh, approach. And by the way, when I did use your book to try and find my lost mobile phone charger, I was ultimately able to find it. So I did find it very helpful. People I'm, just go ahead. <laughs> I'm glad to be of assistance. Absolutely. If people are just tuning, we're talking with Professor Solomon. Uh, tell me about Houdini's history. Uh, with respect to mediums, not necessarily his work as an escape artist and a musician, excuse me, a magician, but his history and approach with mediums. He started out initially as a believer in spiritualism, right? Well, he wanted to believe, uh, uh, and he kept, he he was very attached to his late mother. He wanted to get in touch with her, and he started um, visiting mediums. He became friends with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was sort of the spokesman for spiritualism. And um, Sir Arthur kind of gave him a list of mediums who he thought were authentic. Houdini started visiting them, and one after another, they they were, in his view, they were frauds. And he got upset by this, and that's sort of when he started this campaign to to 
expose the fraudulent mediums. He wanted to find a real medium, but he, he in his opinion, he never did. Now, um, so wh- what was it that changed him? It was that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle tried to expose him to all these mediums and Houdini was just unconvinced. I think the, 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 the crucial moment came where he, uh, Sir Arthur and his wife had a seance for Houdini, which they told him they would get him in touch with his mother. They did this kind of automatic writing with his, with Sir Arthur's wife. They gave a message which was purportedly from his mother. Um, and it was an emotional kind of thing. But Houdini realized that, A, his mother spoke no English. Uh, she had spoke, she spoke German. All the messages were in English. And he, he, there were, and there were other kind of tips. He thought that was a complete fake, and that's really when he started being serious about exposing fake mediums. And it ultimately led to the end of the, his friendship with Sir Arthur because he started speaking his mind and saying, I'm sorry, I wish these people were the real thing. They're not. And his, it included Sir Arthur's wife in that. Well, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's wife was a medium? She was kind of an amateur medium, yeah. She she did she specialized in what's called automatic writing, where she would go into a trance, she would sit down with a pad of paper, and uh, messages would come to her, and she would write them down. And then uh, um, when she awoke, they would read these, and purportedly these were from the the late relatives of whoever was, was having the seance. Um, very interesting. So what was their process? Obviously, if Houdini's mother spoke German and the messages from her came back in English, that's a pretty obvious red flag. But as he would seek to expose other mediums, what was Rudy's process in doing so? Well, he, he would, he had different ways that he would do it. One was, um, he would be, he would appear actually on radio shows in the twenties and, and give interviews uh, denouncing these mediums. He wrote articles, wrote magazine articles. Um, he would appear appear at seances in disguise. He did this a number of times, and he knew just exactly what was going on in the dark. And at a, a critical moment, he would shine a flashlight on the medium who was doing some kind of trickery, and he would expose the medium and he would proclaim, "I am Houdini." He did that a number of times, and he would always bring a journalist and a policeman with him, uh, and these would make headlines for Houdini. It was, it was partly to expose mediums and partly because he was a publicity hound. Sure. He, it, was a, it was a method of kind of publicizing his, his magic shows. Um, we're talking with Professor Solomon, a magician, a magic historian, author of several books. You can check out his book at ProfessorSolomon.com. Why uh, choose to write about Harry Houdini? There's been so much written about Houdini over the years and a lot of films made about Houdini over the years. What made what sparked your interest in further exploring the question of Harry Houdini well, and his I, relationship been, um, with medium? I, told you, I had gotten interested in the history of stage magic, and I started writing a series of biographies of magicians. I had written two volumes of, of these. And then it just occurred to me, Houdini was next. Houdini, I had to write something about Houdini. His, his life was fascinating. I wanted to know more. And that's when I wrote the first of my two Houdini books. That was about, it was about the, the, first, um, the first half of his life before he got interested in, in, uh, in exposing mediums. And then I, it just became obvious I had to write a complete book on the, uh, his, 
his adventures as as a as an exposer of of fraud. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, I've read through a good portion of the book. How could people read this book, by the way? How, how can they get it? Yeah, how can they get this book? It's available. It's available from Amazon. Um, just just uh, Google Professor Solomon or or Google Houdini and Spiritualism. It'll come up. It's been available um, for a few months now, um, and it's it's uh, I recommend it. <laughs> I, I'm sure that you do. Tell me a little bit more about his relationship with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You mentioned that it was their battle over spiritualism that spoiled their, the end of their friendship. How did they become friends to begin with, uh, the well, author of the, the Sherlock Holmes In the Holmes early 20s, uh, Houdini was touring England. He had gone back after the war, hadn't been in a while, and since the war, since before the war. And he started a correspondence with Sir Arthur, um, just because they were kind of two famous people. And at one point, Sir Arthur invited him to stop by his his home, and they became they became friends there. They carried on the correspondence, and then when Sir Ar- Sir Arthur made a couple visits to the to the U.S., they would get together with their wives and 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 be friendly. They were always debating in a friendly way spiritualism, but gradually, it became less and less friendly to the point where. Um, Houdini was making statements to the press that that Sir Arthur didn't know what he was talking about, and Sir Arthur was just deeply offended. Increasingly, they became less friends, and they finally just broke completely. Mm. Uh, that is uh, that's something. And again, we're talking with Professor Solomon. You can check out his website, Professor Solomon. dot com. I read that Houdini even tried to lobby Congress to ban fortune tellers. Is that accurate as far as you can um, tell? He didn't exactly lobby them. He was asked to appear as a star witness. Uh, this is around, I think, 1924, 25. There was a, there was a hearing in Washington. To, um, they were trying to pass a law to ban fortune telling in, in D.C. And they, they got Houdini to be a, a star witness as to how fraudulent these, these psychics and fortune tellers and mediums all were. He showed up at that. It was a tumultuous event where there, there, uh, the a lot of the in the audience were a lot of mediums and fortune tellers. They were yelling at each other. It the order broke down. The the Capitol police had to be called. So uh, they never did pass that that law. It just kind of it just kind of died. But he he had. He didn't start the, uh, that wasn't his idea to have the law, but he was the obvious person to testify in, in its behalf. He, um, he also did a battle, did battle essentially with Marjorie the Medium. Who was Marjorie the Medium and how did their sort of war over spiritualism go? Well, Marjorie, the, the Scientific American in, in 1923, I think it was, sponsored a contest. If if a, if a medium could could do the real thing, could sh- show that they could get in contact with the departed spirits, there was an award of five thousand dollars, and they had five judges, one of whom was Houdini. The other four were sort of psychologists and experts on on um, uh, on parapsychology, but they wanted Houdini to expose the fraud because he was an expert on that. So they went through about. I think five people, and they rejected five five mediums, all of whom were exposed with Houdini's help. They finally got to Marjorie. She was a um, a, a society woman in Boston, uh, the wife of a, a prominent doctor, and she started having uh, seances, and it looked like she was the real thing. 
So they brought her – the committee went up to Boston, including Houdini, and they, gave, they had a series of seances. The committee was kind of fooled. They were kind of naive, except for Houdini. And he kind of pointed out the, the, what he purported to be fraud, fake stuff that she was doing in the dark. And she became his uh, mortal enemy. Uh, in the end, she was rejected by the Scientific American thanks to Houdini's input. But they really kind of disliked each other strongly. And that, that, was, that was publicized in all the papers. It was a big deal. Are there people, both in Houdini's time and through the prism of hindsight to this day, that believe Houdini was incorrect about his debunking of mediums? Are there people that believe that Houdini claimed somebody was a fraud who actually was legit? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. And to this day, there's, there are a lot of spiritualists. It's not as organized as it was. But they were they were convinced that Houdini um, didn't know what he was talking about and that he was even willing to – Marjorie accused him of faking things to, to, to show that she was doing tricks, of, of, of doing the tricks himself. So, yeah, there were a lot of people that really were opposed to Houdini, and, and he got death threats. When he died, he had about a million dollars in lawsuits pending from mediums and other spiritualists who were suing him. Um, it, you know, it just kind of didn't happen because he, he died. But um, he was largely opposed by the spiritualist movement, which was a big movement in the 20s, thanks, I guess, to World War One, where – a lot of people had lost people and wanted wanted to contact them, and the mediums were able to pick up on that and, and, and do their thing. That, that is pretty interesting. Who were the Davenport brothers? You've spent some time writing about them as well. Yeah, they were in in the 19th century. They were they were sort of they they traveled around with a with a uh, cabinet, and they would have themselves tied up in the cabinet. Uh, and there were some musical instruments and bells and things in there with them. The doors were closed, and th they would summon the spirits, allegedly, to ring the bells and play the musical instruments. In point of fact, they were escape artists. They were sort of the first escape artists. As soon as the cabinet doors closed, they knew exactly how to get out. They were tied up supposedly thoroughly in ropes. They could get out immediately. They did these tricks that were the the spirits, allegedly. They tied themselves back up and the doors were opened. Um, Houdini just kind of knew that they, they were they, they were before Houdini's time, but he, towards, the end, towards the end of one of their lives, he interviewed Ira Davenport, who confessed to him, yeah, we were escape artists. And Houdini looked upon them kind of with admiration because they were mm. the first escape artists. He, did, he frowned upon the fact that they were purportedly talking to spirits. But other than that, he had a, a kind of a uh, professional admiration for them. Uh, how about Nino, the escape artist? Who was that? He was other. He was one of the five that were rejected by the, the Scientific American Committee. He would, uh, sort of like the Davenport brothers, he would have them, himself tied up, and he would get in a cabinet, and then he would summon the spirits. It was very similar to the Davenport brothers. Houdini um, w said, "Let me tie him up." Houdini knew how to tie people up. Oh, sure. And once Houdini had tied him up, they did repeated uh, attempts with him. He could he couldn't summon the spirits. But he, he again was was a uh, an, an escape artist who who posed as a spirit medium, and you know there's always been a lot of 
theories about Houdini's death, uh, but uh, the official story goes that he was punched in the stomach and uh, because he was always inviting people to test his abdomen muscles, and that ultimately led to his death. Is that your view, or do you have no, a... that, Yeah, that really happened. I mean, these three college students had appeared in his dressing room, and one of um, they were kind of, two of them were fans of his, but the third challenged him. Said, "Let me. I heard that I could. You can be punched in the stomach, and you can take it." Houdini was kind of sitting there doing doing his correspondence. He said, "Yeah, that's true." And what this student did was Houdini had to get up and brace himself first, and he was about to do that when the students just started punching him in the in the, in the abdomen without giving him a chance to to brace to get ready for these punches. And where the debate comes, it's now believed that Houdini had incipient appendicitis at the time. He'd been showing some signs, and this, this punching just brought it to a head. That's, that's not clear if that was true or not. But uh, he, he, was, he was unable to perform the next night. He was in the hospital soon. He lingered for nine or ten days, and, and he died because of this. But, yeah, no, it really happened that he was punched uh, by, by a college student. Why do you think, what is it about Houdini that makes us still talk about him 70 or 80 years after his passing? There's so many great musicians that have lived throughout time, but none seem to have captured the uh, a public imagination and the sort of legacy that Harry Houdini has. Well, it was, uh, he, he was great, not so much as a musician, really, but as an escape artist. He could escape from anything. He just knew how to do it. He knew he he understood locks. He had secret tools on his person, and his show basically was and and uh, he would escape. He would have people bring in handcuffs and he would get out of them. He really did escape. He knew how to do it in different ways, and that was so amazing to people that he became famous. And plus, he was an amazing showman. He mm. knew how to present these escapes, uh, and he knew how to capitalize on, on on the publicity. He knew how to show up in a city early and do an escape from their jail, and he just intrigued the public. He would escape. He did this amazing thing where he would be suspended in a straitjacket from, from a tall building. Thousands of people would gather to watch this, and he would do his escape, his straitjacket escape, Way up in the air, you know, people were just couldn't believe it. They thought he was going to die. So he just, I would say the, the, the great thing about him was he was a showman. If people are just tuning in, we are talking with the Professor of Fun, Professor Solomon. You can check out his book, ProfessorSolomon.com. Professor, before I let you go, you have a very interesting book, which strikes my uh, attention, and I think a lot of our listeners will be interested in this. It's called How to Make the Most of a Flying Saucer Experience. Now, one, how do you know how to make the most of a flying saucer experience? Have you been abducted? And two, what um, what pieces of advice can you give people that uh, can help them make the most of a flying saucer experience? Well, the book, the book was intended to be two things. I wanted to actually examine the phenomenon of people saying they had been uh, aboard a flying saucer, and, and what flying saucers, what, what was this all about, this whole phenomenon? And I wanted to write an entertaining book. I mean, there's, there's what I hope is humor in the book, but also I really did a study. I read everything I could find in UFOs. I hadn't known anything about the subject really until then. I read everything, and I read about these contactees who claimed they were aboard these ships, and I um, 
I wrote the book. It's it's really a study of a phenomenon and uh, uh, done, I hope, in an entertaining way. So give us a tip. If somebody has a flying saucer experience, what, how, what should they do to make the most of it? Well, you could while you're aboard the saucer, uh, you could uh, learn to levitate. Um, you can uh, take it. They have uh, exercise pills aboard the saucers, according to some of the contactees. You can take a exercise pill. I, I kind of list all kinds of um, things you can do aboard the saucer. Uh, you can you can interview the contactees on their home planet. What it what it's like. In other words, I tried to kind of draw the subject, draw what I could that was f- fun out of, out of the subject matter. I, I didn't ever kind of claim uh, these contactees were actually a border saucer. In fact, I make it clear uh, they were not. But I, I figured let's have a little fun uh, talking about them. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Professor Solomon. If people want to know. Uh, how to make the most of their flying saucer experience or how to find lost objects, go to ProfessorSolomon.com. Both of those books are available for download for free. Uh, is that an unwise business model, by the way, giving away all these books for free? Probably is, but, you know, what I really want is readers. This is, this is you know, I have a real job. I, uh, this is not what I do for a living. I want people to read the books. I write them so that they can be read. So I did that. You can also buy the book, and I'm hoping people buy some of the books, but you can also go to my website. It's right there to download if you want it. All right. Uh, Professor Solomon, thank you very much for the time. Hope we can talk again soon. Okay, Frank. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Tomorrow is primary election day, and 77 WABC keeps you updated on the races to watch as primaries put issues to the test. Join 77 WABC and Dominic Carter for the latest news and polling results. Join me, Dominic Carter, at midnight this Tuesday night, June 28th, for immediate results of the New York State governor's race as they come in. 77 WABC. The following is a paid political announcement. Hi, I'm Andrew Giuliani. I have a strong and proud record for standing and fighting for what is right. It's what separates New Yorkers and conservatives from the rest. I'm the only candidate in the race for governor that still supports President Trump and his America First agenda. If you want a solid conservative, not afraid to bring the fight to the left, join me at SaveNY.org. And please vote for me in the Republican primary for governor. This June 28th, let's save New York together. I'm Andrew Giuliani, and I approve this message. Paid for by Andrew Giuliani 2022. That's what everybody's talking about. Talking about Judge Jeanine Pirro. Sunday morning at 11. It's the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Sunday morning show. Judge Jeanine Pirro. On 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC.
Bruce Springsteen singing Hungry Heart, a favorite of uh, my sister Claudia, by the way, uh, the woman that beats my wife in a beer drinking contest on Saturday at the Tirolosi wedding. That's a true story. Uh, it's funny, you know, there was an after party for the wedding, and we were planning on going, but my wife was so, you know, so buzzed, I said, all right, you know, maybe we're just better off going home. And Claudia went to that after party. I can't imagine what kind of condition she was in for that after party. But uh, uh, we came home to Carmine and relieved my uh, sister-in-law, who was kind enough to make the trip all the way from Long Island to to watch Carmine. Speaking of Carmine, my son, he, he tried something for the first time yesterday that we were eager to see how it would go. Yesterday was very hot here in New York. And... We decided that we would try something called a splash mat. Are you familiar with this? Basically, it's the equivalent of an outdoor fountain and baby pool combined. So you inflate, you hook it up to the garden hose, and you know our history with hoses. So it wouldn't hook up to our garden hose in the back. It's not compatible. So we had to do it in the front. So we put it in the in the driveway, and then ultimately Rachel reads the instructions after we already start having water flow to it, and we see you're not supposed to put it on cement. So we said, all right, let's move it to the grass. But the, it was already filled with water. It was quite a chore to move it from the cement to the grass. So we put it in the grass, and then we, <laughs> we put him in it. And it's it's a basically a baby pool that sprays water at you. And you could see it being kind of fun if it's really hot, which it was yesterday. Carmine did not like this at all. Not at all. He cried immediately. Immediately. The that, That's right. This is him. The water was way too cold for him. He didn't care that it was 90 degrees out. He wanted nothing to do with this water. And I can't see him ever liking it because the water's always going to be too cold if it's hooked up to a garden hose. The water from the hose is cold, even if it's really hot out. I, maybe in six, seven months when he's a, a little older than a year, maybe then he'll like it more. But he did not like it. That was a waste. I, I don't know if we bought this or if somebody gave this to us, but this was a waste of money on our part and a waste of time going to all the lengths because all it did was make him unhappy. He was much happier just being inside. And he likes bath time. He likes bathtubs. But he did not like this as at all. Not in the least. All right, 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah, yes, hi, hi, Frank. I'd like yes. to say this. That have you ever heard of a, a guy named Casey? I forget his last name. He was able to diagnose different ailments and help people get healthy and all. Well, there was another guy at an earlier time in Utah, and he was an American Indian, and uh, he actually helped many people, dozens of people get actually healthy. They used to travel for miles to to, uh, to see him. No, I'm not familiar with him, actually. Yeah, Uh, there is a, you know where I heard that? On NPR. If you can talk to somebody from NPR about that, uh, you you learn the guy's name and who he was, 
But in other words, but uh, this other guy Casey used to from World uh, during World War Two. I think he died maybe before the end of the war mm. or something. People used to call in, uh, communicate to him. I think uh, by uh, he they put him on radio at the time and all, and he used to. Uh, Diagnosed people's ailments. Interesting. Interesting. He's very famous, very famous guy. And uh, this other guy <clears throat> was before radio, uh, and but he he had that same type of ability, believe it or not. So, in, in other words, um, I I think people used to travel by train to get to see him and everything. They had uh, trains that, uh, that was the main. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Tom, for that. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Tony's in Manalapan. Hello, Tony. Hi, Frank. Nice to speak with you. Just Michael. wanted to share a story about um, John Edwards. You're familiar with him? Well, John uh, Edwards was a senator from North Carolina and a presidential no, candidate. No, no. Something tells me I think you mean John Edward. That is correct. That okay. is correct. Apologize. Yeah. He had a book, Crossing Over. I had read it, and um, with that in mind, years later, um, you know, it was always the main crux of that book was when people pass, there's certain things that only you could relate to, um, you know, as a memory of them, and that you were a way of them contacting you. So, well, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it as short as possible. So this is about 1995. My, my, my twins were like six years old. I tell my neighbor, hey, there's a uh, train show um, coming up, you know, in, key, in, uh, in the area. Would you like to go? Sure. We go there. It's in the dead of winter. And below the train display... Of baseball cards. I pick up this card. It's of Ken Boyer. I don't know if you remember the cards. Sometimes they would show you the trajectory of the ball. Mm-hmm. It, it was a Ken Boyer hitting a grand slam home run. And then, Tony, well, we only have about 40 seconds left. Yeah. So. Okay, yeah. Well, my father, I was at that World Series game, 10 years old, in 1964. And the fact that I picked up that card with that particular place, uh, to me, there was no doubt in my mind. Well, yeah, Tony, look, I I definitely um, think there's something to a lot of this stuff. I've seen some pretty convincing things. So I I am open to it. But I am curious as to Houdini's experience as well. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, there was an article in the Sunday New York Post. I don't know if you read it. I linked to it on my uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fans by Rich Calder, who's a terrific reporter. It's a New York Post exclusive. Headline, elderly ailing Upper West Side couple say they're stuck with 30-something roommate from hell. And it chronicles the story of Eugene and Nina Sarver. Eugene is 78 years old, uses a wheelchair, and suffers from severe Parkinson's disease. His wife, Nina, 74 years old, she has dementia. And they told the Post they made an ill-fated decision two years ago to rent a room in their spacious West 97th Street apartment. For $992 a month. It's nothing. In, in in the Upper West Side, in Manhattan, I don't think you could get a closet for $997 a month. I don't think you could get a shoebox for $997. I don't think they'll let you look at an apartment for, from across the street for $997 a month. They, they won't let you on the Upper West Side have a cardboard box for $900, outside for $997 a month. So anyway, they... Rented this room to Lawrence Lee, $992 a month. A licensed agent whose antics might just cost him his gig with real estate titan Douglas Elliman. So Eugene Sarver, that's this poor guy, the 78-year-old man with Parkinson's, alleges that Lee routinely eavesdrops on their conversations and has especially freaked his wife out with poor hygiene habits that attract rodents and other pests to the apartment. Sarver told The Post he's a horrible tenant and a pathological liar. The couple says the experience has left them so stressed that they've been in and out of hospitals the past year for heart conditions and other ailments while trying to get this guy, Lee, evicted, only to watch the savvy salesman drag out the process by repeatedly applying for state assistance and then appealing after being rejected. It's gotten so bad that the couple regularly stays 10 miles away at a Bronx nursing home while Lee has free reign over their rent-subsidized $2,200 a month, three-bedroom, two-bathroom bargain that includes plush office space. You see... Lee stopped paying his fair share of the rent and utilities in June of 2021 and now owes the couple $12,518 that they had to lay out the same month. And by the way, they provided records to the New York Post. So the Post reporter, Rich Calder, who I think is a very good reporter and an honest guy, he looked at these records. That same month, Eugene Sarver filed a police report alleging Lee violently yanked a cell phone out of the senior's hands while he was in the process of interviewing a potential tenant to replace Lee. NYPD records do back that up. So there's a quote from uh, Mr. Sarver. He came into my office and grabbed the phone out of my hand very vigorously. My arm hurt for two weeks, and he said, I will never move. The senior, however, added that authorities told him they didn't have enough evidence to pursue charges against Lee. Manhattan Housing Court filings show the Sarvers are seeking to get Lee evicted, but the process has been held up the past year because the alleged moocher 
has repeatedly applied for aid through the state's emergency rental assistance program. So by law, he can't get tossed out of the apartment if he has appeals pending, even though records provided by the Sarvers show he's been rejected multiple times and simply continues to circumvent the system by reapplying for assistance. Now, this guy is a total degenerate. Look, I'm sure there's another side to the story, but based on the records and based on the quotes from this old couple who is clearly having a tough time health-wise, this guy strikes me as a total grifter lowlife. And I hate to see that a couple who is not in the best of shape health-wise has to go through this. But it got me thinking... They call this the roommate from hell. Have you ever had, at any age, whether you're 78 or whatever age you happen to be, 25, whatever, 30, have you ever had a roommate from hell? Somebody that was just horrible. And what made them the roommate from hell? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And I'll extend that if you've ever been a landlord or landlady and you've had a tenant from hell. 800-848-WABC. Because my mom, she has a two-family house. So, you know, in order to pay her bills, she rents out the apartment that's in her house. And, you know, her tenant now is very good from what I understand. But she has had some real winners as a tenant. Uh, People that have not paid the rent, people that have been into drugs, people that have been into having loud fights with um, with their partner, people that have just destroyed the place, left it in a pigsty. Some of those people have have been the same people and uh, people that have just wrecked it so much that she's had to spend a lot of money just making it uh, habitable again. So I'm curious, have you ever had a roommate from hell? Have you ever had a tenant from hell? 800-848-9222. And look, I am Frankie working class. I am the champion of the working class. So I don't think we could do this segment fairly if we didn't also invite people to call in with stories of a landlord from hell. Have you ever had a landlord that was just awful? 800-848-WABC. And what made them awful? What what was so terrible? Uh, 800-848-9222. A roommate from hell, a tenant from hell, or a landlord from hell, your worst experiences ever. Why? Who? What were the circumstances? 800-848-WABC. Matt, what's your story? Are you a homeowner? Yes. And so it's been, I'm guessing it's a while since you've had roommates or or rented yeah. but what have you ever had a bad experience like this? No, I was pro- I was probably the roommate from hell. Well, what would you do? I was just messy. Like just in messy. college? Well, what does that mean? Well, I remember well my roommate moved out of the room cuz there was so much mess on my side. Okay, of the well room. that's pretty bad. He couldn't he couldn't handle it. But that's nothing compared but it to It wasn't dirty. It wasn't like I smell or anything like well, that. You didn't did you it attract like rodents everywhere. like this guy no. Lawrence Lee? Oh, absolutely not. That's crazy. Yeah, that's I really attracting feel, rats. I, I read this story three times because I just felt so bad for this couple, 
and just I, I couldn't I can't believe that this guy is able to game the system so much to avoid being evicted. Alex Barnard, what's your story? I have been very fortunate uh, in college to never have had a bad roommate, but I remember very distinctly there was a girl uh, that I knew briefly freshman year who terrorized uh, her roommates with um, various drunken and, uh, you know, other kinds of uh, activities, uh, keeping them up at night. Um, And one particular instance in which she was so drunk on Halloween that she peed on their carpet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She was not... She was not a good person at all. She was she was always like, uh, you know, asking for money for ver- for various things at uh, ridiculous prices. She was just a terrible person all around. It sounds awful. So what did they do? How did that story? How did that come to an end? Well, the person that I was friends with at that time who lived in that room ended up moving to a completely different room. Mm. The other roommate. It, this was a triple. Uh, in the dorm room that I lived in, and or the the building I should say that I lived in, and it was a fairly small triple at that. And the other roommate really didn't seem to have much of an issue with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the uh, the person who I was sort of friendly with at the time who had had enough and just decided to get out of there. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Curious what experiences you have had along these lines. 800-848-9222. The worst landlord experience you've had, the worst roommate experience that you've had, the worst tenant experience that you've had. So uh, this story, this elderly couple just drove me so crazy. And again, I've, I've, I I don't want to say I know this reporter, but I've talked to him and he strikes me as a very good reporter. So during a visit to their apartment with the elderly couple on Friday, a Post reporter spotted this guy, Lawrence Lee, moving a massive air conditioner into the space. When asked to comment by the reporter, he dropped the air conditioner on the living room floor and ran for cover in his bedroom. A Post reporter and photographer then had to move the appliance so that Eugene Starver could get around the living room in his wheelchair. Imagine that. This degenerate dropped this uh, air conditioner right in the center so that he had to, he couldn't even get around with his wheelchair. Lee later continued to decline comment before fleeing down an eighth floor stairwell. Hours after the Post reported on the situation, by the way, here's a little piece of good news. A Douglas Elman spokesperson said that Lee is no longer with the company and that it plans to offer the the Sarvers the money Lee owes them. Well, that's nice. And I've met, I don't know if she's still the head of Douglas Elman, but at one point she was the CEO, Dottie Herman. I've met her several times and she seems like a very nice lady. Uh, So I'm not surprised that she would try to make this right. But what about all the couples out there that don't have a newspaper to do a story on them. Those are the stories I want to hear. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. A couple of people posting in the Facebook group about that um, that healer that um, 
that uh, Tom from the Bronx was trying to think of. Apparently it was Edgar Casey. a bunch of people writing that that was the, uh, or Edgar Case. A bunch of people writing and emailing that um, that's who he was trying to refer to. So be it. All right. 800-848-9222. Mike is in New Hyde Park. Hello, Mike. So your previous caller, Frank, who mentioned Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Edwards is a classic example of what Houdini was criticizing. Jonathan Edwards, I used to sell magic. Jonathan Edwards is a mentalist. Teresa Caputo from Long Island is a mentalist. Uh, Christina Brown, God rest her soul, was a mentalist. Sylvia Brown. George Kreskin, George Kreskin, the amazing Kreskin is a mentalist, and he claims to be nothing but a mentalist. So these people now, Edgar Casey, that is very interesting. I've read a lot about him. I, I don't know what to say about him. He is a phenomenon. But most of these people out there, they are shysters. Well, thank you, uh, Mike. appreciate that. I, um, you know, I am a believer in mentalists. Uh, the most interesting conversations that I've ever had have been with O's Perlman. If I ever had a limitless budget to hire an entertainer, the first person I would hire is O's Perlman. If you're not familiar with O's Perlman, type his name on the YouTube. He's amazing. He's been a guest on this show. I, I've interviewed him twice. I'm amazed both times. We had him on when I was producing the Joe Piscopo show. He was on Joe Piscopo. He amazed Piscopo. I... Whenever I have people over and they're looking for something just to be entertained for a few minutes to put on as background, I always put on O's Perlman because he is the most astounding mentalist I've ever seen. But I would like to know your story of a roommate from hell, a tenant from hell, a landlord from hell. What made them so bad? 800-848-WABC. I'll begin with Stephanie, named near and dear to my heart because that's my mom's name, calling from Montreal, Canada. Hello, Stephanie. Hi. Well, you're you're coming in very clearly tonight, so I'm enjoying your show. So I decided to call in. Wonderful. (laughs) Well, I had a neighbor from hell. Um, She lived directly under me, under my apartment. That woman was unbelievable. She she was burning incense like almost 24 hours a day, and I can't. I'm uh, I have a lot of allergies, and I just could not tolerate the the smell or the smoke. And I had spoken to her very politely, very you know courteously. I had asked her not to do it. She agreed not to, but yet she continued day after day burning that incense. Um, this woman was a psychiatric nurse. So she was in the right department, but on the wrong side of the desk. <laughs> That's very funny, Stephanie. Oh, Stephanie, uh, thank you for the call. I'm sorry you had to go through that. You know, it's funny. I didn't even think of the category of neighbors, but we'll open it up to that, too. I've had two. You know, I, I'm pretty easy to get along with. I don't care what the neighbors do. Nothing bothers me. I used to have a couple when I was in my single bachelor pad days. I used to have a couple that would live above me. They would fight constantly. Didn't bother me in the least. Didn't bother me in the least. In fact, it bothered my wife. And when they'd really start getting going and screaming at one another, she was my girlfriend at the time. We didn't live together. But I would say to her, shh, I want to hear what they're saying. Because it was so entertaining to me to have two people that could always be screaming at each other. I mean, it's sad. 
because I think they had children and stuff too. But I mean, it was as a as an observer, it was entertaining. The point was, it didn't bother me. Here's what did bother me in that apartment. And I come to think of it, the same thing happened when my wife and I moved into another apartment. Same thing. In there were two occasions where the person in the apartment above me, and again, two different residences, the person in the apartment above me let left water running, and there was a flood in their apartment, and it leaked all the way down to my apartment and ruined my stuff, including a you know a wall and a, a bed bed thing. It was really just terrible. So that was inconvenient. Original Rick from New Jersey, tell me what your story is. Hi there, Frank. Uh, well, we talked about this once before. I, I still have a tenant that hasn't paid me, like, for a year and a half Oof. money. And here's the deal. Like you said, they're gaming the system. We we did that thing with the paying for back rents that people owed that the, the government supposedly is going to pay. So I can't evict because she's in this program. Oof. But... New Jersey's not moving with it. They haven't given out a penny. I mean, I can't find anybody on the phone or emails that'll, you know, contact me about, okay, we both were told you're in the system, you're you're approved, and then it just stops right there. So I get no money from the state and no money from them. Not only that tenant, but when people rent, they, sh- they should really be careful. You check all the finances and stuff about tenants and all that. They're kids. I've had devil children here, Frank. I have I have literally thirty video cameras on my property now because so much damage was done and nobody that person I don't know always did it. I don't know. So now I, I have to go and I review the tape and I show them, I say, You're paying for this. There's your kid, you know. I mean, you know, shooting uh, <clears> the <throat> fire extinguishers in the hallways, discharging them, wow. playing tri tri level football in the hallway, you know. I mean, are you kidding me? Knocking, you know, hitting the lights with the football and breaking them. I mean, it's insane. So, yeah, I, I, I've had uh, the tenants, and there's not much the landlord can do. I know. I've this seen part. this with my mom when she gets taken advantage of uh, by one of these tenants from hell. And you know what? You know what the shame of it is? People like you, people like my mom, you still have to, you're still expected to make your mortgage payments and your property tax payments. You don't get oh, to absolutely. tell uh, the uh, the bank or the government, sorry, my tenant is not paying me, so I can't pay you. You still have to make those payments regardless. And I can't evict her, even though she's not, because yeah. of the way that the system is set. If you're in the system, you can't get evicted. But the system isn't working. No, that is just awful. Uh, thank you, Rick. You know, a friend of mine's father, he passed away, but he had, um, you know, he had several properties that were for rent. And he had this guy, and this happened a couple times with him. He would have fellas that just stopped paying rent, and they couldn't evict the guy, and, you know, uh, the guy refused to leave. So what the guy, what, what my friend would do, my friend's father, he was so desperate to get these people out, he would say, I'll tell you what, find another place. Not only will I not come after you for the back rent, but I'll pay your moving expenses. And you can list me as a reference for the next place that you're going to try and rent in. Think about that. This this guy was willing to get beat on thousands, in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars in back rent money and lose more money on moving expenses. 
And, well, the, the, look, that's kind of dishonest to give a good referral to somebody that's been a bad tenant. But he, I understand it's a frustration. He didn't view himself as having any other means. Ever have a roommate from hell? Tenant from hell? Landlord from hell? 800-848-9222. Lenny is in Orange County. Hello, Lenny. Lenny! How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, I'm driving home at this hour, and uh, I've listened to you a long time. First time calling. But, yeah, I I had a a landlord from hell. Uh, At the time, I married a woman with three young children and we uh, I was looking for a place she was from out of town and so I was looking for a place for them to land you know good school system the whole bit and I found a place and the rent was pretty decent at the time but it was a fixer-upper and so every chance we got, we had to fix something that was wrong. The, uh, thankfully, the uh, the realtor had uh, let us know that uh, she had been on the landlord's case to, uh, to fix the house up. And so we struck an agreement where anything that we found that we had to fix, we would take it off the rent. And so <laughs> every month, with something, the plumbing, uh, the heating, the windows, you know, the doors, the gas. It was always something. And so uh, towards the end of our run, the landlord came in one day for his rent check, and he told us that he wasn't really the landlord. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, how does that work? And he said, well, my sister is the landlord, and I've been collecting the rent for her. And then he said, uh, and now she wants to sell the house, but she doesn't want to sell it to you. You know, we were thinking, well, maybe we'll rent to own. But uh, instead, he said, nope, she wants to, uh, she wants you guys out. She wants to sell it. And in a month's time, she wants to show it vacant. She want wait, in a month's time, she wants, a month's time, she wants to what? She wants to show the house uh-huh. vacant. <laughs> And uh, meanwhile, the very last thing that we couldn't fix was a gas leak. And uh, I was away at the time, and my wife called up saying she was feeling drowsy and the kids weren't feeling well. And uh, I literally, I told her, you know, quick, get a hotel room, get out of there. It's got to be the gas escaping. And sure enough, the fire department came and they turned off the gas. And uh, by the time I got home, they stated that there was some leakage uh, underneath the house, and they showed me the piping. They said, this piping is uh, is outdated. And so uh, had my wife stayed there one more night with the kids. Right. Who knows what happened? I'd, yeah, maybe uh, here by myself. So needless to say, we were scrambling to find somewhere else to live, and we only had 30 days to do it. That is, that's a real nightmare, Lenny. I'm sorry you had to deal with that, but I'm glad. You know, obviously it could have been, when you're talking about a gas leak and uh, outdated plumbing, it sounds like it could have been a lot worse than it was. I'm glad you guys are okay and glad you're out of there. Yeah, me too. Uh, Thanks. That's my story. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. 800-848-9222. You know, my brother's girlfriend 
Marley had a story like that. I should have asked her to call in because she had a story of getting taken advantage of from some shyster landlord fly by night operation. And then I tried to research the status of this landlord who had basically run off with her security deposit when she was moving into a new apartment. And the landlord was in jail. The landlord was in jail for bilking all sorts of other people. So, look, the bottom line is I think most people are good folks, but there are all sorts of people out there that are looking to take advantage, whether they're roommates. I think most of the story – look, this guy, Lawrence Lee, hurting this elderly couple, this guy's a bad guy. I think most people that are bad roommates are basically what – Matt Blaze was describing as himself, what Alex Barnard was describing as that young woman that he knew. They're just really, really selfish. But every once in a while, you get people that are just evil, you know, or at least cold-hearted. They're selfish to the point of not caring about hurting others. There's inconsiderate, there's selfish, and then there's really bad people. The really bad people, I think, whether they can be landlords, they can be tenants, they can be roommates. Those are the people you got to look out for. I'm curious if you have a story about one. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. David is in Rockaway. Hello, Rockaway Park, to be specific. Hello, David. Yes, sir, I'm here. So tell me your story, David, or give me what's on your mind. Uh, I wanted to mention that by virtue of the fact that this fellow has a real estate license, and he's committing fraudulent behavior. Um, this couple should complain to the New York State Real Estate Commission, and he should have his license reviewed. You cannot act in an unscrupulous manner and be a real estate agent with your license fully intact. Well, I hope he does get in trouble uh, and does get his license re- suspended or revoked. Because of this, because it looks to me like this behavior is just unconscionable. It is unconscionable. Yeah. And, well, and it, it it casts uh, a shadow over all real estate agents. People think that uh, they're like used car salesmen. Right. But uh, to be a real estate agent, you really must act in a lawful manner. By the way, there are a lot of good used car salesmen out there as well. They, I think they get a bad reputation because there are so many con artists in that profession as well. Dave is in New Jersey. Hello, Dave. Hey, Frank, what's up? Um, yeah, so I had a, a girl living under me, and um, I was uh, I knew her for about a year. I'd come across her once in a while. Hey, how you doing? Um, I work nights, so, um, you know, I put on my TV at night when I come home, I unwind. All of a sudden, out of nowhere... I hear a knock on my door. Okay. Who the hell's knocking on my door at 4 o'clock in the morning? So it's the cops. And they uh, said to me, well, listen, you gotta, you got to turn down your TV. Uh, the, girl, the girl underneath uh, says it's too loud. I said, well, there's my TV right there. Is that too loud? And he's like, no, actually, it's not. I said, okay. So this went on for about three weeks. And the cops came to my house about five times, the same thing every time. Finally, one night I come home, she's banging on my ceiling for a half hour. What? With some, yeah, with a broom, uh, 
Oh, man, it just sort of poured. With a broom um, or a stick or something. And she's, she's pounding on it for about a half hour. Finally, I'm like, I've had enough. I go downstairs. I knock on her door. She doesn't answer. The cops come. I knew she was going to call the cops. I said, officer, she's been pounding on my ceiling for the last half hour. I just got home from work. I'm trying to go to sleep. Anyway, he winds, he winds up staying in her apartment for about a, an hour. With the police officer? Later, the police officer? Yeah, the, yeah. The, yes, because he, they thought I was harassing her at, at this point. So I guess he stayed down there to see what the hell was going on. And uh, he comes up an hour later, knocks on my door. I didn't know he was down there. And he's like, listen, he's like, you're not doing anything wrong. He's like, I, I understand what's going on. I think it happened one or two more times after that, and then she moved out. But, uh, but uh, Dave, Dave, what what was her goal? What, what did she gain by giving you a hard time and calling the police all the time? Uh, I have no idea. I have, Frank, because I, I was living there for about a year. Okay, there was never a problem. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she started calling the cops on me. And then that, that, that thing with the broom. And I'm, I'm just like, you know, this girl didn't work. You know, uh, you know, she didn't work because I was home during the day. And she was always home. You, you know what I mean? And she didn't work nights. Cause, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if she had mental problems or uh, or she was off her meds or, or, or whatever. But uh, it was just out of nowhere. <sighs> Well, uh, yeah. that's rough. I'm glad you don't live, uh, ne- you know, uh, beneath. You don't live on top of her anymore, uh, Dave. Hopefully, you're living on top of uh, a much more kind and considerate woman. Yes, much better. All right. <laughs> thanks, uh, Dave, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Oh, that is terrible. Well, see, a story like that. What does a woman gain by doing that? Why would you ever do that? To harass someone like that? I don't think I've ever called the police on any neighbor or uh, uh, landlord or, or something like that. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hey, um, maybe if you're behind on your rent, we can help you pay your bills if you want to win $1,000. We're going to do the $1,000 minute in just a minute. If you are the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC, then we're going to give you a chance to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. And if you can do that, we're going to gift you $1,000, courtesy of Red Apple Media and John Katsimatidis, our owner. Uh, that's going to be exciting. So be the seventh caller now if you want to give it a shot. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C.
This is ABBA, Gimme Gimme. Uh, if you ever want to know what music we're playing, just join our Facebook group. Just search Moreno Radio Fans and Haters. You know, the song, the, the music in this song, the, the musical part of it, not the lyrics, it sounds identical to the Madonna song, Hung Up. I'm, I'm sure she sampled it, and I'm sure they paid ABBA something for this. And uh, I've always, I, 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 the, like this part, this, if you listen to the Madonna song, Hung Up, this part is at the beginning of that song, Hung Up. By the way, speaking of that song, Madonna performed at the uh, Gay Pride Parade with, uh, now Madonna's 63 years old. She does not look like any 63-year-old I know. And um, she performed, she did a duet with the rapper Takesha, and they did a remix of this song, and uh, as I guess in honor of Gay Pride Month, I'm not joking about this, they were making out, the two of them were making out after their performance uh, Madonna did that very seriously, very uh, famously back in 2003 with Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. So uh, she's continuing, you know, to be very cutting edge at, at 63 years old. So there's that. All right. Without further ado, it is time for one lucky person to win some money. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Let me say hello to Tom on Staten Island. Hello, Tom. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Tom, uh, thanks for calling. What, 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 what finds you awake at this early hour? Uh... Going to work, construction. I actually woke up a little bit before the alarm clock, and I catch your, your show at the tail end. And then I said, what the hell? Let me try to call. Wonderful. I am. Wonderful. Well, are uh, you feeling smart today? Um, No. No. Nah. All right. All right. Well, uh, these, these are pretty easy questions. So I, I think a question nine might be a little tricky, but you gotta, kind of got a one out of four shot for that. Um, okay. The the, you got the, you're gonna have to answer ten questions in sixty seconds. If you get a question right, we're just gonna move on to the next one so that you can try and get through all these quickly. And then uh, the timer is gonna begin after I ask you the first question. You ready to go? Yes, sir. All right. What department is in charge of putting out fires? Fire department. What state are Tampa and Miami in? What flying mammal can a vampire turn into? A bat. What WABC show features a daily segment called Beat Bernie? Repeat that. What WABC radio show features a daily segment called Beat Bernie? Oh, Bernie and Sid in the morning. New York is having a primary election for what office tomorrow? New York City or New York State? New York State. What office? Primary. Tomorrow. What is the first book in the Old Testament? St. James? No, the first book in the Old Testament. Uh, Oh, my goodness. Oh. All right. Uh, you're out of time there, Tom. It was Genesis, yep. the book of Genesis. Genesis. Yes. Not, uh, I, mean, I get five? 
You got you got five right. Yeah, you lost on the first book in the Old Testament. Not an Old Testament guy, I guess, Tom. No, no, no. Sam Rocks is not going to be happy with me today. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, New, New Testament is where it's at for a lot of us. Yeah. You're yes. not Jewish, are you? No, Sam Rocks out of Port Richmond. All right. Well, yeah, yeah but you sh- I was going to say, you should know the Old Testament uh even if you do attend, uh, even if you do attend uh, a Christian denomination, Tom, I'm going to put you on hold. Ryan's going to take your information, and uh, he'll give you something interesting—a consolation prize of some sort. Frank, I love your show. Gets me to work in the morning. Thank you. Well, that's awfully nice of you, Tom. Hey, what off. kind of work do you do, Tom? Uh, elevator construction. Oh, nice. Very nice. All right, I'm going to. I lift, uh, I'm, I lift people up. That wonderful. I lift people up every day. Wonderful. <laughs> We're going to send you a Bible. Thank you. Uh, hang on, hang on. Just you got, you got to know the book of Genesis. Even if you don't know your Bible, you got to know Genesis is first, right? Even if you've seen Star Trek two, you got to know about Genesis. All right. Um, yeah, I felt bad. It seems like a nice guy. I was hoping. I, I, I was hoping you'd win. That's not a tough question, though. Would you have gotten that, Matt Blaze? You would not have gotten that. I know nothing about the Bible. Oh, you're Jewish, right? Yeah. You should get that. I, I should, but the book I, of Genesis. I, I don't know. Adam and uh, Eve. Nothing. I know the stories, but I don't. I don't. Cain I can tell you the first book, second book, tenth book. I don't know how many books. Well, yeah, every, I have all, no idea. Look, if you're Jewish, you got to know the first book. If you're Christian, you have to know the first book in the Old Testament and the last book in the New Testament. You not. You got to know your bookend. I just know it as the Old Testament. That's it. Yeah, but there's a bunch of books in the Old Testament. I have no idea. Okay. Uh, there's some good stories in there. You see how much I was paying attention in Hebrew school. You went to Hebrew school? Of course. And you don't know the book of Genesis? I probably know the stories. All right. Cain and Abel? Yeah. That I, know, I, know, I know the stories. All right. But you, you never thought to look at what book you were actually reading the stories in? No. They just told me the stories. They just in, told in me. Okay. School. All right. So be it. Uh, hey, maybe it was a tougher question than I realized. I don't think it was, though. Hey, speaking of stories, Curtis, um, and speaking of knowing things, Curtis was mocking me over the weekend in his wall-to-wall extravaganza of making fun of me, which I, I don't mind. I take it all in fun, for going to New York University. Now, let me – Curtis – like, I'm not uh, – Curtis is actually a very smart guy. <laughs> but Curtis d- didn't even get a high school diploma. Why is he making fun of me for going to a good school? This is Curtis <laughs> over the weekend. He went to NYU. His poor parents, who worked their tails off, his father Carmine and his mother, I, I know them well, hardworking people, working two, three jobs just to make ends meet, multitasking in order to give Frank a good education. They wasted $55,000 a year, no frills on NYU. First of all, NYU was not 55000 when I went. It was expensive, but... um. You know, you want to have some fun with Curtis? He was bragging just there about how well he knows my parents. Ask him, call him up on on Friday. Tell him you're going to talk about something else on Friday night and Saturday. Ask him what my mother's first name is. Just ask him. It's Stephanie, by the way. He, He doesn't know my parents well. He doesn't know anybody well. You could do the same thing with his, with his, like, first three wives. And ask him their first name. And it's a pick as to whether he could get those right. Um, it, here's what I didn't like, though. He he was criticizing the segment we were doing about veterinary issues 
the other day. This is uh, Curtis over the weekend. All of a sudden pontificating about veterinary costs. Can you play the beginning of that? Just the beginning of that, Broadway Billy. I'm so furious with him. Just the beginning. I don't hear anything in terms of somebody making veterinary costs a big part of their platform. Whatever happens. He's so full of it. I ran a complete campaign to become mayor of the city of New York, and I discussed that at length. I talked about snap cards so that people wouldn't surrender their dogs and cats to the shelter where they would be destroyed within 72 hours if nobody had claimed the dog or cat or adopted the dog or cat or a rescue group wasn't able to get the dog or cat in time. And there it is. He's talking, oh, nobody's talking about that. I had a website up on that. I debate. I did debates against Eric Adams. And, uh, oh, yeah, Fernando Mateo, who nobody has seen. I crushed him in the Republican primary. And I, that's all I was talking about, animal issues. Where was this guy when the campaign was going on? <laughs> where was I, Curtis? Come on. You know where I was. Uh, I was clear, if you heard the full context of my clip, and I know Curtis is just having fun. It doesn't bother me. But. If you hear the full context of what I said, I was talking about on a national level. No presidential candidates, no big senators or anything. That's what I was talking about. National issue, not a mayor's race. I know. Obviously, I was part of the campaign. I know Curtis talked a lot about animal issues, but Curtis didn't like me talking about it. I mean, this is our turf, right? Animal welfare. Nobody else talks animal welfare here at WABC. Mark Levin, yes, he's the number of dogs. Uh, He's earned that right. He's a veteran. National show. Frank? What does he know about animal welfare issues? Uh, before Curtis was married to Nancy, I don't know that if you put a dog in a lineup, in a police lineup full of cats, that he could have picked out the dog. Now, again, he knows a lot about animals now, not taking anything away from him. But this is a newfound expertise that Curtis has. Um he also took like issue with dog, the German shepherd. <laughs> he took issue with my handling of a caller. What really bugs me that Frank Morano goes around telling everyone he's the ratings king here at WABC. We do know that in the last ratings book, he had 20 radios out of every 100 radios tuned to him. I got it. And I had 17. And then all of a sudden, through osmosis, through technology, he claims that, oh, he stayed at the same level and I have faltered. And yet I can't get any of the analytical data. Never claim that. I can't get any of the numerology. I can't get any of the arithmetic. Nothing. I go to Matt Meany, you know, our uh, producer extraordinaire. He says, oh, uh. Uh, I lost the paperwork. Yeah, you lost <laughs> no, the paperwork. He He's running interference for Frank Morano, the golden child. He can do no wrong. He is the untouchable here at WABC, as he has been described. The future and the here and now of talk radio, and they all protect him. They all protect him. First of all, management shares the ratings with Curtis, as they do with all of us. So that's just, Curtis is just having fun there. Here is Curtis talking about taking issue with my handling of a, a, a radio caller. Play it again, Sam. Alice is in South Jersey. Hello, Alice. Yes, I just tuned in. I never listened to your program. Now, about the cats. Well, uh, how I come you never listen, is, Alice? 
That's my personal reason. Okay, but, uh, you know, uh, I believe uh, Curtis Lieber's wife is involved with the animals, and perhaps she might have a suggestion for you. All right, I appreciate the advice there, Alice. Thank you. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. I didn't like that. He just flew her off. What did he mean great? And by the way, he wanted to find out from Alice why Alice doesn't listen to him, right? I mean, you know, aren't there certain issues of privacy, privacy? Leave the callers alone. They have their own reason for not listening to you or to me, depending on who they are. First of all, Curtis, as the Supreme Court has now made clear, there is no right to privacy in the United States Constitution. Thank you, Justice Thomas. Thank you, Justice Alito. Second, um, if I recall, and Matt, you can feel free to correct me. If I recall, I think Alice hung up after that, like, drive-by call. I think, do you, were you here that day, or was that the day that you took yeah, off? No, I was here. I think yeah, she did hang She did up. hang up. Right? I think she did hang up. And that lady exists to heckle me, I think. she. I think that was the lady that called and mocked me for believing her story about her husband's Uncle Sam sending her to Hawaii on the eve of Pearl Harbor or before we bombed Hiroshima or something. I think that's a professional Frank Morano heckler, which I'm fine with. Heckle me as much as you want, as long as you're listening. And as Curtis will tell you, the ratings suggest that as the show that's still number one, people are listening. Uh, hey, this was a little mean. I have to tell you, I know Curtis is joking about all this stuff, but this is this hits a little close to home. Listen to him talking about my relationship with uh, with my father, Carmine. Sigmund Freud wrote extensively and lectured extensively about the Oedipus complex. Oedipus, Curtis. The Mamelukes, like Frank, you know, they love their mothers. Nobody could ever replace their mother. But they end up hating their father. And I need to take a stand here, Broadway Billy, because I know Frank Morano's father, Carmine. Stand-up man, went to Brooklyn Tech, great uh, academic career, great athlete. Uh, ran for Congress. I mean, all around, a GQ model. I mean, the whole package. But there's something about baseball, Frank, and his father, Carmine. Very weird that it seemingly caused Frank to hate his father. I, I, I can come to that conclusion. I don't know how he's coming to that conclusion. We do root for bit different baseball teams. That's true. Maybe Freud would have something to add on that. But, I mean, that's quite a leap to say that, uh, you know, that something's caused me to hate my father. Let me assure you that I do not. I have a very good relationship with uh with my father and he's a tough guy to have a relationship with he's very he can be kind of stoic um i mean we have a very good relationship so he continues on this bizarre theory that he's got about uh my father and me how many times did frank morano use the word and a n d in that that tells you a lot no it doesn't there is something uh psychological about that his Constant use of and when he's referring to his father, Carmine. It implies something. What does it imply? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And then there's the last one we'll play, and then we'll we'll move on. Um, A caller named Rosemary actually gets in on the act with this newfound tension that Curtis is trying to create with my dad and me. 
the only time I've ever heard him give a compliment to his father that I can remember was when on Father's Day when he was uh, explaining the baseball game that him and his family had, that his father was a wonderful, wonderful baseball player given his age and everything. But he did admit that he couldn't get a hit except for once. So that I have to give him credit for. He's not as good as he says he is in baseball these days. Imagine blaming his errant throwing, his inability (laughs) to hit the mitt on his father. Father. Mm-hmm. Like like somehow his father tied his uh, hands around his back and prevented him from throwing or took a ball-peen <laughs> hammer out and broke his knuckles, and now his, his hand dangles and he can't get a good grip on the ball. The most impressive thing about these, these clips, and you, th- this was the whole show, so if you go back and listen to the podcast, you could hear it. There's a lot more to it. I'm not going to play any more. But the most impressive thing to me is that um, Curtis is able to say all this with a straight face. I can't even listen without laughing. You know, a friend of mine, very smart guy, a doctor, called me yesterday. We were talking about Atlantic City. He says, yeah, and I understand they provide a babysitter for you when when you go. I said, no, they don't. He said, said, where did you hear that? He said, oh, Curtis said it. And I, this is a smart guy that's getting taken in by Curtis. Uh, God love him. God love him. If you want to see Curtis, <laughs> you can do so uh, tonight at 730 on Staten Island at the uh, Bricktown Shopping Center as, for a Get Out the Vote rally. 800-848-9222. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. I'm the biggest rat that eats Parmesan cheese. W-A-B-C. This is indeed the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Now, though, it is your turn to be heard for 15 seconds. Deb Valentine is back on the WABC Early News, by the way. I know a lot of you missed her on Friday. She's back uh, from 5 to 6, and then you get to hear the Bernie and Sid show from 6 to 10. Uh, I don't see any guests listed for the Bernie and Sid show today. Um, So, but, I mean, if there's ever a day that you want to hear just the two of them, give their analysis of what's happening, it's today. I can't wait to hear uh, Bernie and Sid kind of go at it on the uh, Roe versus Wade issue. I think they may have uh, differing views on that one. So those are always my favorite shows when they are at loggerheads over an issue. Meantime, it is time for you to be heard. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Let me begin with Neil on Staten Island. All right, let's try Stan in Brooklyn. 
Good morning. Regarding the tenants and the uh, people in Manhattan, the elderly couple with the tenant from hell, you said they were paying $2,200 a month. The landlord is subsidizing them because it costs more for the landlord to, for them to be there at that rate. They should be paying a hell of a lot more for that apartment. Well, then they deserve everything that's happening to them. Joe and Ron Konkuma. Hey, Frank, another great show. Uh, shout out to Frankie from Glendale. And tomorrow, get out and vote. Vote for Lee Zeldin. I support him 100%. Have a good night, Frankie. Eddie in Nassau. After doubling the national debt and quadrupling the problems, the only thing Obama got right was when he said, never underestimate Biden's ability to F things up. On that note, I'm Frank Moreno. Good day.